Hello and welcome to episode 283 of The Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I am joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And Alex Wiltshire. Hello. I forgot to mention that it is the 29th of May, mm. 2019. If you rely on this podcast to know what day it is, then I'm sorry we let day you down last week. <laughs> day it was. <laughs> yeah. day, what day it was on Wednesday. <laughs> and that is, uh, that's the day it was on Wednesday. And uh, we are the people we were on Wednesday. Um, and here are the opinions we had on Wednesday. <laughs> and here's what the news was on Wednesday. What was the news on Wednesday, Alex? Well, the drift wasn't anymore. We can't do this whole Wednesday. podcast in the past tense, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was interested to see, and a little sad to see, um, World's Drift mm. has been, uh, cancelled. Um, World's Drift being the very ambitious MMO, physics-y laden MMO, player creation laden go building <laughs> sort of um ships sort of flying ships mmo grappling hook, grappling hook mmo all of the from, things mmo this is all from gone a bit Bossa studio mm, this is all gonna be randy pitch for describing bloodborne yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh not bloodborne I mean, battleborne sorry to be honest yeah. <laughs> that's uh it's maybe a kiss of death isn't it if yeah. you're like describing if you, your game takes if you go randy on words. it <laughs> like that game also did not um, it was a really cool concept because it's also built on um, Spatial OS, um, the persistent mega server driven sort of MMO. <laughs> Which, in a, again, it's a nebulous concept. <laughs> it is a nebulous concept. Um, but in, the, in this case, uh, it meant that everyone shared a single world. And when you built your little flying ship uh, and you went away from the game for a bit, you'll find it kind of mouldering mm. where you left did it. Did you play it? I did. I did. Briefly. Yeah, like, did you maybe talk about it on this podcast? Yeah, I may have done. Yeah, yeah I, I did. Someone Actually, told yeah, me I did. It was quite I did. I did. I, did. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked its promise massively. I didn't really enjoy it as it was. Like it had kind of physicsy jank. Like it hadn't gotten quite past that stage of where you're making a physics-based mm. game where you've got the emergent depth from being able to harness physics to to grapple hooks and and zoom around the world, um, while also being easy to, and easy and pleasurable to control if you're not super skilled mm. surely and that was a real issue for me spatial os is a cloud technology surely that just trivially solves the whole problem yeah <laughs> microsoft have been telling us in every e3 for the last Weirdly, five like, years because there's the cloud the you can do infinite physics with infinite yeah. players and there's never any slowdown or flaws that was never the problem for me like there was never the lag and things mm. there wasn't really any of that like things rolled down hills and there wasn't any kind of strange kind of lagging in and out and things um the problem was that the, just the game was you you know it was deep in the sense that you had to in order to build a really good ship and you know and other crewmates you know you'd need crewmates to to fire guns and and tend to its bits and pieces uh so you'd have to have friends playing at the same time or you get involved in some clan thing you know so there's lots of sort of time and depth in that kind of thing but mm. is it any new player it's really daunting um you know, there's a crafting system where if you want to build that good ship, you're going to have to spend ages building up your crafting knowledge and all the, you know, all the blueprints and whatnot that you'd need. Um, so there's, there's that side of it. But, um, in the video that Bossa put out about cancelling it, they, they were very clear about the fact that it isn't the game they were aiming to make. You know, it, it's 20% of what they aimed. You know, they wanted loads of single player stuff. They wanted more lore in it. If, you know, my experience of playing it, if maybe a year ago or something, um, it was 
a quiet, very quiet world. You know, there's there's lots of suggestions of kind of a law there, but you know, there there it, it's just you know pretty bits of scenery. Really, there's nothing underpinning as as you know explicitly in the world. Um, like that wasn't there and there's meant to be solo kind of i don't think they're dungeons exactly but you know puzzles in the world and things to do that aren't simply mm. you know building ships and, and doing pvp so yeah i'm sad to see it cancelled you know and i think that it was a cool experiment definitely a very good still an experiment. Early access, wasn't it? yeah it never exited um early access i think that if you bought it i think since the the end of April, you'll be reimbursed. Huh. But before, you know, if you bought this in, you know, before then, you will not be reimbursed, which, because mm. I think they'll be turning it off in, in July. This is, you know, being a server based game, you know, you could imagine the costs of keeping it running must yeah. be pretty high. Mm. I have to admit, like, I was sort of surprised to see that this had happened because I think, like, maybe a lot of people, maybe it's just me, but when something's in early access, you know, I, I remember you talking about it on the podcast now, and I remember being about a year ago and thinking, that sounds interesting. I'll put it on the mental list of things yeah. I'll probably play when it comes out. Because, you know, an early access investment is one thing. I've talked plenty of times about how I prefer to wait in most cases for it to be done. Um, and this, if it's strange to have a game cancelled out of early access, if that makes sense, because, yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously I think, it makes sense, but, you know. I think the, well, like I say, there's the server costs, so um, there's a more pressing need to to actually stop it um, rather than just like wind it down or backburner it. Um, but for a counterpoint, you can look at Space Base DF9, the Double Fine mm. game, where right. that was in early access. They it wasn't making enough money to justify its continued development, and so they just called it 1.0 and said it's not early access anymore, and that caused a really bad reaction from, yeah. from people. So it's like when you're in that position of we've only made 20% of the game. I'm not saying that's the case in space space. Um, but if that's what they're saying about this game, the decision of like, do you kill it completely or do you just call that 1.0 and see how it does? Uh, there's definitely a downside to the latter as well. Yeah, totally. I think, um, and, and you know, it, it sounds like it was far enough from where they wanted it to be that maybe that's just not yeah. ethically or personally kind of viable. Well, I think but, that, yeah. yeah, they've, they've encountered massive problems. I understand like from this video, they were talking about how, you know, all of the time since it's been out they've been squashing bugs and dealing with the massive problems and challenges that come from doing physics mmo kind of you know those kind of games mm. what's Actually, what i thought what i found really interesting oh sorry tom you, you said i was going to push it in a slightly different direction uh, so was i <laughs> push it in your direction first <laughs> okay um what's interesting to me is that uh, since it was announced and since it came out, um, Sea of Thieves has come out, which is mm, yeah. broadly the same kind of game. Build it, have a ship, have a crew of other players and go out and explore. Um, and that and had such backing from MS. Huge, like huge backing. So a uh, very largest established studio. Yeah. Like Microsoft kind of leading came out on two platforms. In a way that actually felt weird at the time. Like it, it yeah. turns out to be a good game and I guess they knew that and that's why they put it, they were well, behind it. Yeah. But at the time I was thinking, is this really your sort of flagship? Like not that it didn't look good, yeah, but yeah. just like this doesn't look like it's the mega, it doesn't look like your Gears of War. Well, it came out pretty roughly. Like it, it came out with lots of, um, mm. uh, criticism of being really slight and not having enough to it. And, mm. and, and they've, you know, that's what you have. To, that's how these kind of games emerge and then, then the work yeah. starts in building all the kind of the depth. So if you've got that kind of backing and you've got that, you know, the audience is there. If you fix it, then it can work. Yeah. But if you don't, it's 
And that one's good. That game's been massively successful as well, yeah. but without being as ambitious, in fact, you know. Yeah, that's the other part of it. Yeah. The thing I was going to say was, um, was as we were, you were describing this and how it didn't work out, like even after all that work, only being 20% of the way there, you know, my takeaway is, hey, everyone, be much less ambitious yes. <laughs> all the time forever. <laughs> and then that, that made me think of... Um, uh starbase which is a game that frozen bite oh yes <laughs> it, it is insanely ambitious like you're watching it and think oh yeah okay again we're making starbases and they're, they're building some scaffolding in space um it's like and, space engineers or something yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and you're thinking cool they're making one of those it looks like a nice one and then it just keeps on expanding and expanding and then it's like full ship battles and then it's like um going inside other people's spaceships and it's a massively multiplayer and all it's <laughs> just everything to all people <laughs> and uh that's a uh, scary. <laughs> yeah, it's the um, the Steam forums design a heat signature expansion. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. It really is. Yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> what should we put in our space game? Everything. The forums say everything. <laughs> um, yeah, but, it, but did I got this sort of sense that no single part of it looked very nice to play? I think repairing looks nice <laughs> uh, when they there's times when they're just sort of shooting a beam at a thing to fix it, and the way it's the effect for it. It's also oh, some yeah. kind of shader where it's like the reverse of disintegration. If you know the effect, I think it's like, like semi-voxel. Like you could, it's, yeah, when there maybe, were things were being destroyed. I think they did. I did see a description of it being some sort of polygonal voxel system. <laughs> Fuck, God knows what. So it's almost as if the finished thing is like being painted in, yeah. uh, in a really nice way. Mm. Yeah, I, had, I watched that entire trailer and I have no idea at what point a human engages with. Like, <laughs> there's like there's stuff like people. Um, pulling like it did look voxely like pulling specific specific panels off walls and then yeah. using them as shields yes climbing around inside a, a space station it's that a is also being bombarded well. by spaceships and yeah like like some kind of rainbow six siege type kind of <laughs> scenery destruction thing going on and um sure <laughs> 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 you know, that's not to be glib. I mean, you, the thing, actually, the impression I got when, when watching it is like, and this has been true for a while, but like, it is possible to make, um, multiplayer games of a degree of complexity now that simply wasn't possible a couple of years ago. And I think sometimes, at the, sometimes you can go a while without seeing the benefit that technology is having on the kinds of games that can exist. Um, I think particularly relevant to relative to the period that probably we were all coming up into PC gaming through where it felt like the entire medium kind of overhauled itself every couple of years, at least visually because of the kind of the late nineties, noughties graphics race, basically. Um, whereas the last couple of years, obviously there's always things developing. There's always design innovations and things like that. But in terms of technology and going like, Oh, I don't think that could have existed a couple of years ago. It's, it feels less frequent to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels less common to me. that something goes like, yeah, that definitely, couldn't be done yeah or if you put out that trailer you would go hmm that looks like that, that would never work you know that looks like bollocks whereas now mm. actually i believe that that exists you know the <laughs> the the criteria of for it being successful are like could you get the the hundred players it takes to uh enact this scenario you know how how likely is that and how do you incentivize it yeah. and, and that all of those questions still remain but nonetheless yeah. like it, it actually did strike me it strike me that like it looks like the other thing it reminded me of is like um the sort of 
like um half-life total conversion i would design when i was 15 <laughs> i didn't know anything yeah. <laughs> and so and that's not to say that's the case but it, because it'd be like well you can't do that you know yeah. what i mean you can't have and you can shoot through the walls and you can then climb inside the space station and you're a robot and you're a spaceship like what was that game that was on the pc gaming show like uh, maybe two years ago that was just like no man's sky but also you can found an entire civilization and it's oh yeah <laughs> just oh i don't remember that but that was like a whole other notch of all things to all people <laughs> in terms of, not in terms of what they showed, because I think they only showed the yeah, kind of remember, No Man's Sky-ish yeah. part, but then uh, he was just talking about his plans next, uh, like where it goes from there. And it's like, oh yeah, and then you'll be able to found civilizations and you did take the laws of those civilizations <laughs> oh, and create your own systems of government. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I think, I wonder if to some extent, and I don't want to, I don't think this applies to any given developer particularly, but I think sometimes people extrapolate a bit too far from the immediate promise of Procgen. It's <laughs> yes. like, I've made something that can do trees and hills. <laughs> and what is space? <laughs> hills and trees. <laughs> and what is systems of government, if not hills, <laughs> I guess? And what is a combat system, if not hills? You know what I mean? Like, there's sort of like, there's a, there's, there's some sort of fractal that they're imagining but it's all made of hills and that does not necessarily create a universe at the end of yeah, the yeah. I'll tell you what didn't happen to that game in the two years since I last heard of it. It didn't come out. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't get finished and released. The, um, uh, there's also, oh, there's the programming element of that. There's a, the, the briefest moment of, of a summer playing coding oh, in the, the door in, in, the, in the Starbase yeah. thing. Which, right. of course. Which then, uh, I'm not gonna, I, I don't know how you say the name. You know that game that Notch was working on? Uh, Tend to the Sea, whatever yeah. Yeah, it was. Ten, yeah, Tend to the Sea. Which has, zero presumably, X, zero. might be where that came from. Oh, zero God. X Tend to the Sea, Zero X Tend to the Sea. I know it's a programmer thing, you should know. This, it's the sign of the speed of light as well. Oh, is it? <laughs> I think the C is the speed of light. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> also, not out. <laughs> um, Given that it's um, obviously it's Wednesday, mm. so tomorrow, but that's yesterday, listener, um, they're going to announce um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, a game that came <laughs> out sake. in 2007. <laughs> I, well, actually, <laughs> there's nothing, uh, there's nowhere to go with parody for this. Like, there's nothing you can say that's dumber than what they'll actually make the name of a thing, you know, for the next Xbox like in this room, if we tried, we couldn't think of a name that's dumber than what they will eventually pick. <laughs> yeah. The next one will be, uh, it'll just be Xbox, right? It's well, it go is Xbox. devolving, isn't it? Because, because we had that round of kind of got the Xbox one and we've got Battlefield one. So this, so this is like taking out the number. God, like if they going, just call it box, I'll actually be kind of pleased. <laughs> or X. It all could right, be okay. X. Yeah. yeah. Um, Why not go all X. the way? Um, the, um, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna go Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One, Xbox. Um, and similarly, Call of Duty. Actually, well, the thing is, it's this not. is gonna be call and yeah, <laughs> duty. Actually, that, that was. God, it will be duty one day. It will just be duty one day. I guarantee oh. that. Um, <laughs> duty. I'm duty. preemptively disgusted. Yeah. Um, but actually, do you remember to when be fed, Black Ops 4 just like had the three numeral and just added another <laughs> line to it? Like, that's it. We're doing four that way. We know that's not right. We're just fucking doing it. Yeah. We're just four lines. Uh, it's in our style guide. We can't Screw do Romans. V in this font. <laughs> It's um, just every time, every name, like, it wants something sufficiently big, it's the name of it has to become fucking dumb. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, though, this <laughs> technically isn't calling a game the same thing again, which does happen all the time. Because actually, technically, it was Call of Duty 4 Modern yeah. Warfare. So that yeah. isn't, this yeah. isn't I think, confusing. Yeah, yeah. I also heard, I haven't checked myself, but I, I heard that when they did 
Call of Duty, when they did Modern Warfare Remastered, which is relatively recent, yeah. they took the four off when they did that. No, so that did one they? is called Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered. Oh, dear. So that is the remaster of the forthcoming Call of Duty Modern Warfare. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, well, the good thing is that, um, you know, let's assume that the target audience for this game remains people aged sort of 18 to 30. Um, then most of those people won't remember uh, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Yeah. Half a lifetime away. Yeah, because it's half their lifetime ago. So uh, with that sobering kind of thought, maybe this is fine. Um, you <laughs> people know. were really fucking mad about um, Infinite Warfare coming. The remaster. That was actually, that was a pretty similar, a silly name. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> and coincidently was, was also a triple A heat sig. When they first announced it at E3, like the video for it was just like first person breaking into a spaceship in flight and boarding it and taking out the crew, like, um, in the way that, uh, Starbase, you know. Yeah, yeah right. Um, and, uh, sorry, what was I saying? Oh yeah, they, so Modern Warfare Remastered was bundled with Infinite Warfare. And I think that was the only way you could get it. And that's why people were mad at Infinite Warfare, especially. I mean, and they also didn't like it, but <laughs> they were all like, why do I have to buy this piece of shit to get the good game remade? Well, so if people do care about it. Yeah, they do. Uh, but this isn't a remake. No. It's a new game. Yep. That is also called the same thing. Is it? Do we know when it's set and things? <laughs> we know be- modern times, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it's only set in 2007. That's the thing that's confusing about this. <laughs> oh, those classic old 2007 yeah, guns. It's retro. It's like, um, yeah, no, is that, yeah, that or early modern, like. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-century modern. Yeah, yeah. Post-modern. Um, like, no, it's, it, it should presumably be now. Now-ish. 19. Now-ish. Now-ish. I mean, I guess, so technically, in it. modern, the word modern does refer to a specific period of time, doesn't it? It doesn't refer to now, it refers to... No, it's not present. There was the modern it's period, modern, and yes, there's the it's, postmodern it's, period, and, uh, but it is commonly used to mean present day mm. by most people. So under that use of it, they could just keep calling it modern warfare, and technically the meaning of that title changes as time progresses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true, uh, but dumb yep <laughs> <laughs> i mean they've done it they've they've gone and done yep. it and it's they've almost it. certainly going to be fine it's just the fact that what, what just makes me anxious every time i hear these kind of names is that well, where do you go next what do you what do you what do you do next and we, we've the discussed that they just take off more and more words yeah but duty but then they'll go back to numbers like you just see all these naming conventions yeah, it's like in too. fashions <laughs> around around oh god <laughs> they literally just oh, put the same god. numbers on them just also, um, uh, these days, NVIDIA graphics card numbers are now what Radeon graphics card numbers used to be. Oh. Like the Radeon 9800 or something was, <laughs> was a sort of, I think like a 2008 graphics card and the, and, and the GeForce 9800 is like a 2018 one, I think. <laughs> there was like a 10 year loop round period. Oh. Remember when they, uh, just made Prey again? <laughs> yes, <laughs> literally called it Prey. There's just two games on Steam called Prey. <laughs> I think one of them's in all caps, and the other one isn't. Oh, yeah. oh that's okay then. Yeah, one of them shouted. <laughs> it's a sort of and that, that game wasn't even like related. Really. <laughs> like it's you know started. Well, no, it didn't. It didn't start as a started as a completely different thing, and then they just put the Prey name on it. Of course, that it might you know as it actually is uh, announced, we might actually think, oh god. 
That is the perfect name <laughs> for, this. for this shooting man. Yeah. I feel compelled to perform my military responsibilities <laughs> in the modern time. <laughs> if that isn't the tagline in full, then I'm not purchasing this game. <laughs> uh, good. Um, we should talk a little bit about what we've been playing. Could do. Yeah, we could do. What, what have you Well, played? I've been playing a thing that's newly out, so it's also semi-news. Um, okay. Uh, which is Void Bastards, mm. uh, which came out uh, today-ish. It seemed to come out in the middle of the night last night, actually. Um, and that is a first-person game about breaking into spaceships. <laughs> <laughs> so very on theme. Um, it's uh, got this uh, gorgeous comic book rendering style. Um, it is 3D, but with sprite-based enemies. Um and it all looks like uh, a really nice comic book. It looks like you remember 13 looking, but if you actually look at 13 these days, it doesn't look like that. <laughs> yeah. um, Did they do a sequel to 13? <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> it's just called 13 again. Furt. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Thirteen. It's uh, Voidbusters is also a, I think it's a roguelike. Um, I haven't died yet, so I can't vouch for how that works. Um, but it's kind of like an, it's got an FTL style map where you're, you're taking, I guess you have a spaceship, um, but you also raid other people's spaceships. And you've got to get to the spaceships. So you need the spaceships to get to the spaceships. Yeah. So you jump to nodes in the same way in FTL, you choose which place to go to next. And then when you arrive there, there's a ship there and it tells you what reward is on board and what enemies you'll face if you go on there. And you can board it or not. You can just move on if you like. Um, and if you board it, then you're in first person and you're, um, you start looking at the map of the ship and you can see where all the different, uh, systems of it are, like the helm and, um, the power, um, and the FTL drive. In the helm, you'll be able to get a map of the ship, uh, well, a, a map of where all the loot is on the ship. So you, you know where to go. And in the power room, you actually, I, so far, have not been able to turn off the power of a ship, but if it doesn't have any power in the power room, you can turn it back on. Um, in the FTL drive, you'll find barrels of fuel, which you need. You need one fuel for every jump, so you run out of that pretty fast and you need to loot other ships for it. Um, and it's very much a resource game, more so than I realized at first, because I was... Um, uh, like, my your health is persistent between ships, so if you lost half your health on the ship, you've still only got half health when you start the next one, and you're going to have to do something about it at some point. Um, and the way you recover it mostly is food, which you also just steal from, like, cafeterias on ships. You just pick up some sandwiches and just take <laughs> it with you. And, like, one sandwich is one food, and every jump you do, you have to you consume one food as well as one fuel, because it's taking time. Um, and that heals you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> one sandwich per jump. Yeah. <laughs> it's, got, it's got a wonderful, like... Um, veneer to it where like everything the theming of it is just all off kilter and kind of dirty and weird and and uh sometimes very australian sometimes somewhat scottish <laughs> um and like the, the sort of standard enemy that i'm fighting at the moment mostly are juves which i think is short for juveniles <laughs> and they just yell at like oi fuck face at you <laughs> when they're chasing you and uh just basically verbally abuse you uh, the loot you find, uh, one of the most common loot, like, they'll just find like a finger, uh, or a foon, which is a spork, but <laughs> alternate universe spork, um, or, uh, just like general trash and all that melts down. Instead of melting down into like carbon and iron and, um, stuff like that, it's 
slag and vaults <laughs> and um, just like really flavorful names for everything. Um, and like to, uh, I don't know if I'm going to remember the whole recipe, but one of the craft, there's a lot of crafting with these resources to make new gadgets and stuff. Um, and I can craft an air freshener to reduce the nausea caused by garbage by 50%. And <laughs> for that, I need some ion brew and, uh, another ingredient to like, um, to craft that. And so you're building equipment like that. I haven't got far enough. So it's a first person shooter mostly, but it's very immersive sim inspired. The team who did it have, um, uh, some folks who worked on System Shock 2 and, uh, Bioshock and, uh, Farbs who did Captain Forever, which is a spaceship building game, um, that I really liked. Um, and you can, I can't yet, but you can eventually hack turrets and deploy robots. I've got some kitty robots now, but I haven't used those yet, so I don't know quite how they work. Um, uh, there's a gun that can like suck up enemies and then redeploy them elsewhere. Um, and I haven't got to that yet, so I'm like can, on the cusp. I think of... you can redeploy them through walls as well, can't hmm. you? So you can kind of lock them away from you. Cool. Yeah, you can lock every door, which is cool. Like every door has a, a lock on it. Sometimes they're locked and you just use that and it just takes a while to unlock it, but you can also lock it to keep enemies from coming through. Um, and it does intentionally throw enemies at you. You just can't take on like, uh, I can't take on a screw, <laughs> which is a large bulky robot type enemy. Um, and so if one of those is around, I have to figure out a way to, to hide from it or try and lure it somewhere and uh, and that's really cool but yeah i'm only i've only just started it so i, I don't, can't speak to how immersive cine it gets yet but it's a lot of fun has it got a good feel to it yeah yeah as a shooter it's um it uh yeah feels satisfying um there's not a lot it's not like you know the recent doom remake or anything in terms of action and agility and that stuff you're pretty much um just shooting stuff when you see it and hiding around corners a bit um but that's more of a resource management game. It's, it's kind of, you really, uh, there's little exploding enemies called tourists and they really only take one shot to blow up, but you can only take one main weapon into a mission or I can at the moment. And so when you're low on ammo for your pistol, you just have to at the start of the mission, choose the shotgun instead. And then you just don't have a pistol. So you have to use shotgun everything. Shotgun's super powerful, but ammo for it is a bit rarer. And so using a whole shotgun blast on one of those guys feels kind of wasteful. So I'm always looking for a way to like, can I get sort of three of them in my field of view and just use one blast, take them all out. And the other two might not even be aggroed. I'm, you know, picking a fight that I don't need to be in, but just so I can make the most of the shotgun blast. Cause I'm not getting any free refills ever. Um, so that works surprisingly well, actually like instead of having all the weapons and running out of ammo for them and then sort of, you know, that there's a kind of bad feeling in these games sometimes where you're scraping by and you've got yeah. like, I don't have any ammo for my pistol, but and I found three bullets, so I'm going to switch back to my pistol until I've used up those three bullets. And in the middle of the fight, I've got to switch back to something else. Um, in this, it's just like, before the mission you pick, like you've got five bullets for your pistol, you've got 16 shells for your shotgun. Um, you take your shotgun and you don't, just don't have your pistol for the whole mission. And during the mission, you might find some pistol ammo, and so next time the choice is different. And that feels like a, a good, clean system for that. Have you found, you know, there's, there's a danger with that feeling frustrating, you know, that you... You kind of want to shoot stuff and, but, you know, but the other, on the other side of that, you, it might be pushing you to be more creative when you're playing. Is that, yeah. is it working that way? Yeah. It's cause I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Like I say, I haven't died yet. Um, and I've been able to, when I was low on health, I was able to find a ship that had a med bay in it that I could raid. And it's like my whole objective in that mission is just, I just want to get to the med bay and heal myself up. And, then and that's a self-set mission, mission, isn't it? Yeah. 
Um, each each ship does kind of have a, like a main feature, and so it's kind of the game does kind of highlight whether you got that or not. Um, sometimes you're there for like a unique item that will create some new weapon or whatever, and it tells you whether you got that or not. Um, but yeah, I've been doing pretty well, but uh, in like a full immersive sim, the resource glut tends to be kind of the resource economy tends to be kind of all or nothing, I find. Like, either I'm just doing great and I have infinite everything and I'm, you know, I'm still not using it. I'm just throwing it on the ground because I can't carry it anymore. <laughs> um, or I'm behind the curve and so I'm using up everything and so I'm always behind the curve. This, I'm doing well, but I was completely out of ammo for the last mission I did and I just had to figure out ways to hide and and run past people and do that kind of improvisational stuff that forces you to explore the possibility space better. Um and it's cool. It's got that out of me without pushing me to the brink of like, oh god, my whole run is screwed. I'm, you know, I'm one health and I'm never going to get anywhere and um, have no med kits or whatever. Like, uh, I'm doing right for food, but food is not a thing that you can just eat on a mission. You have to be back at base and um, uh, to use it that way. And so you, it does a good job of like letting you, putting you in desperate situations, even though your overall situation is not necessarily mm. a disaster. Cool. Yeah. And excited really, about it. Yeah, I was excited too. Mm. So it snuck out though. So maybe that'll be one to return to next pod as well. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely play more. On the subject of um, space peril, <laughs> of a very different tone, <laughs> I think we've all played Observation, mm -hmm. which came out last week. Indeed. Um, I have finished Observation. Alex, I have also. Well, no, I, I haven't done it. Yeah. <laughs> You've I'm, seen the end of it. Yeah. I'm halfway through. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we'll avoid, obviously, no spoilers in, in what we're about to say if you're playing it. Um, Observation is the new game by No Code, um, who made Stories Untold, which was a sort of short sci-fi anthology. Or Sorry, it itself wasn't short, but it was an anthology of sort of short sci-fi stories told using inventive interfaces, basically. Um, uh, this is the studio by um, John McKellen, who was the UI designer for Alien Isolation. Um, and that's, that's the that deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's, he it's, done a game based on his. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and, um, and, uh, stories untold is very similar. It's sort of, um, they, um, these, they're very cinematic experiences. Like everything no code has done so far are very much like, almost like, um, and I don't mean this in, I just mean this sort of just in a purely descriptive sense, but they feel like, sort of um sort of indie sci-fi movie projects that mm. happen to be rendered in a kind of interactive form but like um it's it is all it's game elements interactive elements being used to for the purpose of expressing a mood in a story it's very much not about your experimentation really mm. or even to be honest challenge um really it's it's you know they're in it's like um, the thing that occurred to me playing, it's, it's, it's more obvious in, um, in stories untold, but the thing that occurred to me in observation, which obviously to talk about the structure, but it's like, um, it feels like to me, like the first walking simulator where you definitely don't have legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, because so it is a sci-fi short story, basically, or, or movie, um, set on board a, um, uh, relatively realistically rendered near future space station. So there are elements, there are elements of it that uh, are a bit more advanced, but it's an international space station style thing. So a, a space station with an international crew made of several modules all water together. 
Um, and something done gone wrong in space again. Um, <laughs> oh, not again. Yeah, it does keep happening, but it's in that sort of kind of low key, you know, realistic space, uh, space travel kind of vibe, very 2001. Um, and you are the station's AI. Um, and as the station's AI, you interact purely, um, through the kind of interfaces that you have access to. So security cameras, um, that give you, that allow you to look around and access laptops and door terminals and things, documentation that you can scan and your own internal systems. So, you know, from a, I'm just sort of getting some mechanics so we can talk about kind of what it feels like because those are two slightly separate things, but the, the pitch. So you have like, you know, so there's a lot of, I'm trying to think because like, um, what would you call a quick time event if it wasn't quick? Maybe a slow time event? Like, there's a lot of just sort of doing... Performing an interaction yeah, in performing order performing the game. interaction. Inter- like, it's a game of kind of like universally, really beautifully designed interfaces, basically. And beautifully designed documentation. Manuals. Beautifully things. designed... Uh, 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 fuzzy screen yeah, interference. Yeah. Like, a lot of uh, colour separation and sort of old VHS sort of jank and yeah. big clunky... Yeah, it's an interesting mix, actually, because it has that retro feel, but then also, like, uh, it's doing things that those interfaces sort of, that would be, that in, like, the 80s would be science fiction <laughs> in UI for, like, when text is appearing on screen, as it's getting longer, it's rescaling the font yeah. dynamically so it fits perfectly on screen. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. like, you know, yeah, in the lines. 80s looking at that and thinking, what? How is that being done? Yeah, <laughs> and it, it goes all over the place. Like, it's not, like, Alien Isolation obviously had a very specific era of computing that yeah. they were trying to evoke, despite being a sci-fi game. Um, this actually goes lots of different places and, and like, I'm worth talking about the aesthetics of it actually, because they are great. Like it has. Yeah, some, some of it's yeah. kind of like Linux kind of command yeah. line kind no, of. Oh, my, my favorite one. Spool, spooling lines and code. Is, um, I think it's the, the people tracker interface. And when you dial into it, it's like a router. Like yeah, it is. I was going to mention the same one. Page. It's so pitch perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> and it's yeah. got a missing, but it's got even got missing, um, text, uh, yeah. missing <laughs> images. Yeah. With a little sign there. Yeah, it looks like a kind of Ubuntu kind of like shell for a, yeah. Router or something, and like there's that. like a there's a like a mode that's just the right length of moment as you're waiting for it to come up, like that makes it feel like it's sort mm. of coming over a shit network. I had, this is off topic, but very brief. I had an image load right to left the other day. <laughs> what? what on the real you know, internet? Typically, yeah, images load top to bottom, and then every now and then you get the crazy one that loads bottom from top, and it's like, whoa, that's kind of freaky. <laughs> for the first time in my twenty odd years of using the internet, I saw an image load not just horizontally but right to left. <laughs> cool um um, i've seen some shit man yeah um and um but but we should say um to help people visualize it these um uh interfaces are located in a very um detailed 3d environment it runs in unity but Mm. it it has proper triple a kind of production values for the main environment it has human characters which is uh like a uh, a Rubicon that a lot of sort yeah. of immersive sim style projects like this don't cross yep. into having, you know, emoting they, human characters. They had a good excuse not to cross it here because yeah. generally people are wearing helmets. <laughs> yeah, right. said, hey, yeah. everyone keep your yeah, helmets in fact, on. The moment <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no air. Everyone keeps a reflective <laughs> yeah. helmet No one where the main character kind of takes her helmet off for the first time felt like a bit of a kind of like, and we've done faces. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so you interact with these, um, uh, items around the environment you also have um 
the ability to respond to things, which is used to selectively, but it's kind of neat idea. So I was just going to say with, um, just to make it really clear, like, because it's, it's neatly the model module based, you know, space the, station, the space station is really useful for this because how it works out is that, um, when you're in a module, like you choose on a map which module you want to manifest yourself. And then you have, there are a number of cameras in that module that you can flick between that give you different views of yeah. that space. Did you find there's a key I didn't notice for like an hour or more in where you can hold it and it, you can see like a 3D visualization yeah. of the space you're in and where all the cameras are and where all the objects are in yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, shift. shift. Yeah. It's super yeah. useful. <laughs> hold oh, shift, everybody. It's oh, really I'm, useful. I'm playing on PS4 and there's no, there's no. That'll be there. I played on well, PS4 probably as is well. one, but there's no, there's no in the, in the list of controls, there's nothing for that. It's uh, it does stop being available at some point for some reason. Right. Yeah, um, and you can. What's cool about it also is that that you can freely move around the modules and have a look what's there. Like a lot of the time, you have total freedom to go off and have a look at stuff when you're sphere, doing something else. Yeah, yeah. You also do get. Oh, and you can get a free roaming sphere. Yeah, yeah you get the, for more freedom of movement later on as well. But yeah, the response thing I was going to mention is a nice idea, which is obviously you get voice commands and. You know, part of what the story is about, and we're avoiding spoilers, part of the, the, what the story is about is, you know, uh, it's sort of showing the the developing um, sophistication of an AI from inside the AI, which is novel. Um, mm. And one of the ways it does that is, you know, you receive voice commands and you kind of choose how you want to process them. But people request information from you. And what you need to do is find the thing that they want to know about. And then you hold R on the keyboard and click on the thing you want. And that triggers like a response rather than rather than activating the thing you talk about it um it's very context sensitive it doesn't work all the time um in fact it only works when it's designed to work but it's it's a nice idea and that can include ui elements as well so it's like i quite liked that as a yeah, motif cool. that like to an ai there really is no difference between its own um ui you know its own maps and, and data and readouts and things and the um and the the physical world that you're viewing through cameras it's just a set of mm. information that you're processing from lots of di- through lots of different streams which i think is is pretty cool it right away it is, it sort of establishes this ai as having been built to have a degree of autonomy that is you know everything you would advise against <laughs> like, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what the first thing that happened one of the first things that happens is you know, the user gives a voice recognition you know authentication authentication thing, thing. Uh, you see your little subsystem checks whether it's valid or not and tells you it's not valid and then you choose whether to accept it or reject it. And Mm. uh, so right away it's establishing there's a layer of separation between like it's not just the subsystem rejects you because it doesn't recognize you. The AI has the authority to decide do I think this is, am I going to just say that's fine, whatever, or am I going to reject it? And and yeah, and so in terms of what you actually do, like it's functionally a point and click really like in terms of you know you progress puzzle by puzzle you get you hit you know roadblocks you get told to do something and you have to figure out how to do it and so the simple early example is you know there's a fire somewhere but you don't have access to the system that easily identifies that because it's offline so you have to go find it with your cameras and then find it and say there's a fire here <laughs> there's something kind of like that was cool and it made sense like there's something really funny about rotating the camera towards this giant raging fire and saying I see a fire. <laughs> I think I detect a fire. But it's like... Look, be, fire. <laughs> but that's kind of... I, I did like how much that makes sense within the fact that you don't actually really have a physical manifestation of yourself. You you can only... 
apart from when you're in the sphere, which actually is quite controlled about when, you know, opportunity with that. Yeah. Like, you know, you have no ability to affect other than but tell the humans mm. yeah. to do something. So there are some doors and things that you, you've, you know, the, the solution to the puzzle is to say, yeah, there's something I can't do. Oh, yeah. okay. I'll do it for you then. Yeah. Which is actually like, quite nice. In you the are, you're basically advanced game. Siri. And so yeah. like, you can do a lot more than Siri can, but occasionally it's just like, yeah, no, I'm. Just I'm a worse voice. than Siri. I'm genuinely worse than Siri because most puzzles I've forgotten what they asked me to do specifically, so I have to ask them several times <laughs> what it is because on the same screen that when you hold down R yeah. or whatever, like you know, on the same screen that you um that you respond to things and tell people information, you can also ask them to re- re- repeat. What the phrasing of that is uh, such that I never used it. Um, until i think until i watched a let's play or someone playing it because i it says repeat last command and i thought that meant i would repeat the last command the last thing i yeah. did and i didn't want to repeat what i last said so i never <laughs> did it but actually it's asking them to repeat what they asked you yeah. to do yeah i think um something that it does well and there's lots of things it does well i mean it's consistently really atmospheric um but something it does well is is it kind of dramatizes like you say you know your worst siri your better siri there's limited amounts you can do in different situations um, it's hard, like, obviously I won't get into specifics, but it does dramatize that changing. Like it, uh, you know, and it does it without really drawing attention to it. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's very, um, sort of, um, low key sci-fi and, and it's not, you know, it, it wears its cinematic influences really openly as, um, as stories untold did. And, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly not shy about them. And therefore it's never going to be the game that has a character shout what's going on. <laughs> right and this is to its detriment and its credit i think but one of the ways where it does work i think is it allows you to fully kind of play out the process of um becoming more sophisticated mm. and and having more agency and making more choices and that's kind of interesting because you know you start out and you can just go that's a fire and then later you get you know you, it, it has somewhere to go from there in terms of you know narrative and tone which i quite like i am um... I constantly feel a little guilty about the fact that I've been asked to do fairly simple things and I spend fucking ages panning the very slow camera around yeah. the room and, <laughs> you know, sort of... Oh, that it's taking you so long to do the basic thing. Yeah, like, you know, you you are Siri and the Siri ha- is playing the, the song that you yeah. wanted, but yeah, I still I'm, haven't found, found the, the document. The <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned actually, Chris, do you play on PC? Yeah. With mouse and keyboard? Yeah. Oh, is it? Do you, can you move the cameras as fast as you like with the mouse? No, or? it's wazzed. Oh, okay. Right. Um, yeah. so yeah, we should get into things that don't work quite so Because <laughs> it feels <laughs> like we're, we're, we're kind of being drawn <laughs> gravitationally towards them. Um, so it is slow. Like it's probably a four to five hour game, I think, all told. Um, it's not mega long, but, um, it's slow going. Like, it's definitely a sit back game. Yeah. Like I've been playing it on the sofa and it's worked fairly well like that, but I'd aimed to actually play it with my wife. Um, I thought that we would enjoy sort of doing it together. I thought it'd be that kind of game that mm, someone, yeah. no, <laughs> whoever's not in control is just going to be going, yeah. Oh, Fuck will so. you move the camera quicker? <laughs> yeah. So not that one. There's some basic things like the camera, the camera movement is slow. Like it's, it's, you know, it, it's slow and there's, um, because of its, I think, investment in these interfaces, there's a delay on everything. Like everything boots mm. up or kind of chunks into life or requires you to hold a button or, mm. or to kind of watch as the thing happens. And actually like 
personally i don't really mind it no i, I don't actually uh, because i sort of played it in quite a kind of like i've been playing a lot of very different sort of less relaxing games recently and, and it's been it was quite nice to just sort of engage with it and but it reminds me a lot of the kinds of sci-fi films that it's in love with in that if you're not in the right mood for them they can be interminable mm. right do i want to watch this lingering shot for for a while you know if you're in the right mood to kind of sink into it it's good but i think if you are mm. if you're like get me to the next stage of this or and, and maybe there's something very specific about the it's like it's literally camera movement in both cases it's camera movement but there's something about this camera movement being so slow was this the choice made by a director of cinematography on this movie i'm appreciating and this camera is slow because i'm holding d and it's going <laughs> and i and, and it's also like you thinking oh no i'm looking the wrong way i have to now pan it back yeah. the way i came i was um my problem with it was that um i, I think i would have wholeheartedly liked it if it was a if it was a walking simulator in the sort of gone home sense but it felt like they had a mandate to include things that are technically gameplay <laughs> like they really felt like they needed to have uh for the tasks you're asked to do to call you can't really call them mini games because there's never any game to it and it's as if they and they're felt, not really puzzles, they had to hit either. some bar of interactivity like demanding you do stuff kind of amount of effort and precision and, and control from you but with never any anything interesting going on isn't there's never any actual control there's never any actual challenge there's never any actual anything to for your brain to engage with and so i can watch like a camera move really slowly and i can i can passively absorb things that are slow but when you're also asking me to do stuff and i have no there's nothing interesting about what i'm doing and just it's just really fucking fiddly and i just have to push the fucking sticks yeah like i don't know what it's like with mouse and keyboard but when you're browsing even just the data visualizer thing where you can combine this data mm. which looks really cool but to pan around it you can't use the d-pad and you when you use the stick to pan around it you have to push the stick to the left and then release it and then push it again to go through every single node oh, right that's not a case of pc and it's that, just tap, tap it, does, it does skip oh, it does skip through it does scroll through if you want but it'll go too fast if you're kind of wanting yeah, to have a look at that to work i think i think maybe the, the you, you know you touched on it there like the issue is it's possible to do the slow camera movement wrong. And I think its weakest moments is when it kind of needs you to find something. Yeah. Um, there are moments later on that are a bit, um, maze-like and, um, it has reasons for taking away some of your kind of maps and things, but it asks you to essentially like, you know, find a thing in the environment. And the kind of game it is, it's never going to be a place that has like a waypoint icon, right? There's, there is no, um, there is some kind of waypoint thing. There is a waypoint. You, so you can system. set one yourself you can when set you have the map. Yeah. yeah. And then once when you, it takes away the map and I fucking hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I really wish it didn't. Uh, and that was the main, that was why I gave up on it. I eventually just couldn't play any further because it took away the map and I just couldn't fucking find the thing. And I was like half an hour on it and having zero fun. And I just had to give up and watch a let's play for the rest of the game. Uh, and it was just because it took away the map. If it left me the map, we had a map of this at one point and it took it away. Uh, there are, there is a story, potential story reason for it doing that, but I don't buy it. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was just the end of it for me. Yeah. Like, but I think that's when it said it's weakest. Like, I, I think I know the moment you're referring to it and I kind of like, I kind of liked it, but I thought it was like, it didn't quite work. Like the reason I liked not having the map is because it like opens up the station and then quizzes you on it. And so there's an element of like, you need, you know where you need to go. And, um, because it's, you know, rendered at quite a high level of detail, there are signs and things like there are, you know, the, the, the layout of the modular space station has a logic to it. Mm. Um, so 
um, which is interesting because you're in, you know, zero G 3d space. It is really disorienting. And, um, so the idea of like, Oh, I've gotten to the point now where I used to be the sort of master of this domain. And I have, I can press spacebar to look at a whole map of the whole place and go to any room to, I need to, um, sort of scoot around it at a more low level and, and navigate by what I understand about this space in an analog sense. Like from a completely like I'm being Sudi now, but like from from that point of view, that I think is a good idea. Like or it's an interesting idea. Like I've gone from being this very sort of digital kind of overviewer, um, oversight to a position of far more analog navigation where it's like, oh, this sign, this the you know, these modules are in sequential order and this sign means that we're here. I need to get around this corner. And so but it's like the issue is then it asks you to find a very specific point of interactivity or a specific element in the environment that allows you to bypass an obstacle or something like that and it's just not particularly intuitive to find that stuff and it's really easy to spend a lot of time frustrated going the wrong way or like because certain types of um certain types of obstacle have been impassable before realizing that that you know i had to do the kind of game think of this probably isn't impassable now because i know this is the direction i have to go in so it's it's you know, I, I, either I'm completely missing something or it's, there's a way around it now that there wasn't before. And that is actually the case. And there's all this kind of like slight fiddliness to it. So I, I completely get it, but like, I, it's that sort of pain of, I could see what they were trying for with that moment. But yeah, there's also a few more where, uh, there are a few other moments where I just didn't find something, you know, the, it's, it's, I think the other thing is it's inconsistent on what you can and can't scan. Like there are going to yeah. be, there are puzzles that are laptops. based tops. It's so weird when you can and can't scan those. And, sometimes it and is a laptop. You should. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it is a laptop. Like that's probably. Well, I think the implication that some of them are just dead, aren't they? But yeah. But I could, I found a dead one that I could connect to and scan, oh, right. but then yeah. nothing happened when I did. Yeah. Some of them, some of them are dead. Some of them are one? off, but can be switched on. Some of them are on. Um, and I mean, there's also this like gamey critique that like, or like conceit that, next to daubing your last message in blood on the wall, the next thing you do is record exactly one message to an entire laptop and then throw that entire laptop away. <laughs> like, like one email per laptop is a it's like uh, yeah. that only existing yeah. games. <laughs> it's like they're Kane's lost satchels. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, as it does that a bit, but like, um, you know, so you, you find these beautifully detailed, uh, interiors where every surface has had QR codes stuck to them for some purpose and people's photos are pinned up and things, but not every object will be interactive. Um, just the ones that you need and just the ones you need in that moment, um, which is good, but turns it into sometimes a bit of a pixel hunting. But also sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll have looked at that thing before, thought this isn't interactable and you won't go back to it in the moment. Yeah. That it- you need it. Or you get the kind of the weird thing of going past something that is interactable, but it says unavailable. And then it's like the end of the game. You go, Oh, I know where that is because earlier, <laughs> like I wasn't allowed to touch mm-hmm. it. And now I am. And I think, um, like I think there's a, there's an example. So there are examples where I've tried, I tried to play and it ended up sort of went against me, which is like, so there's a puzzle it teaches you, which is if you, if a system has been overridden, there's a way you can use like the schematics to play like, um, the sort of invisible maze, mm. essentially. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Actually. I quite like that because you learn the language. Like each part of the space yeah. station built by a different space agency has different rules for this. 
um and you learn like the the sort of um the the um the geometric logic for lock unlock and so on these kind of like machine code things it's almost like for like hardwiring the the systems and that you know is one of the systems that it does let you play with like you yeah. can you know it doesn't need to do much more than open close and lock doors um but you can do that and there's a point there's a point uh, in the game where i um felt like in order to do the thing i was being asked to do safely i should um seal all the doors properly in a room <laughs> like didn't ask me to do this but i just thought yeah. i'd do it anyway i know this is partly role play on my part and partly i don't know what kind of game this is you know maybe maybe i will get you know some consideration for having done this so i manually like sealed every door in the room only to realize that then um the thing i needed to do required something on the other side <laughs> and once i had done it those doors would for the only time they ever do this in the game seal themselves all right and so i mean obviously maybe it's related to the thing you're doing or something like that but it, it was like my instinct was right but my decision to play with the systems mm. of the game in order to execute it was wrong and mm. that's a bit yeah. of a shame because you, it's yeah. like because it's built up this image of the this persistent coherent place where everything yeah. is built spaced around interaction you know with these systems with these fictional systems and it, yeah yeah i think that um yeah no, i i forgot about it when i was saying i didn't enjoy any of those mini games or that none of them had anything interesting about them that is the one that i did like and i i think i want more of that i want i want the feeling of being like a space technician i mean the, yeah, the, yeah, one yeah. of the things that's bothersome about it is that uh you're an ai and i get that you're not the low level systems like those aren't you you're the separate thing this layer on top of them but the idea that like the difficulty of interacting with these things is the ui as a human facing <laughs> ui of like like literally not even just how it's laid out but like when i need to enter six numbers i have to click the up and down arrows to make the numbers go up or down to get to the number i want like what computer system in the world needs to do that to itself <laughs> see so for me um my assumption and this is maybe a very generous assumption is that you don't have any access to the actual like internal workings of the systems a lot of the time that is what the schematics are you have to use the same interface the humans do and in some kind of dumb machine learning way you have to figure out what the correct you know what i mean like it's what like, you have you seen that robot arm that presses the i am not a robot capture thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the touch screen yeah exactly like that's you know you play a kind of post machine learning kind of ai i guess where you're intelligent enough to go up arrow probably going to make the digit go up rather than you know a thousand iterations later you figured out how to do it like Although oh, there's um, there's one particular uh, interaction where I just could not understand what was going on, that you, it's the it's the 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 clamps on the modules. Yeah, that's a yeah. That's... And there's a button on it that I just did not realise was interactable, and I was searching around the screen. Then I was searching around the whole area in yeah. which I was looking. Have I missed this something? But no, surely there's this screen. And eventually, oh shit, that's that's a button. Fucking hell! I'll tell you the thing it reminded me of. Um, and going back to my old, um, walking simulator dead horse that I like to beat, but like these, these experiences are a lot like immersive theater in a bunch of ways. And the kind of great, like question of almost all, all immersive theater faces is how do you communicate how interactive you are? Mm -hmm. Because, um, like something's very interactive. Something's not interactive at all. When I used to do the company that uh, I used to work with, we used to have the problem of explaining that we were very interactive. Like, how do you tell people, you know, I literally stood in front of the shows and did a, you know, a speech at the start of every show to say in no uncertain terms, this is interactive. Please do things. 
Um, and that wasn't a trick, you know, it was true because otherwise audiences didn't really kind of come alive to it. But similarly, um, and that's because people in, in that context, in a, in a theater context, people start usually from a baseline of like, I won't touch anything and I won't do anything. I was going to yeah. watch. You're the passive. You have the observer. opposite problem in video games. I suspect where people kind of want to fiddle with everything because mm. they're playing a game. And, um, but what was, um, and so I enjoyed observation when I calibrated myself for, oh, this is interactive, but it's not there for, it's not a, it's not a sandbox. It's not, it's sort of, it has the look and feel because the interface is so nice of a space station simulator because that is who you are playing, but it is a, it's a walking simulator at the end of the day. You know, you mean you're there to kind of go through the motions and, and experience the look and feel of it and the story of it, but not to try and reroute the oxygen or do anything like that. You're not there to play really. And that, you know, like, and it, it, it falls apart in the same way that like something like a punch drunk show does. If you were to just like, you know, open a drawer, take out a key prop and fuck off with it. Right. Like there's an element of like, you know, there's the point where, you know, the actors would come in and go, no, um similarly the game goes like i don't really want you to do that so please Mm. do this thing instead and the frustration comes from moments where um you don't know exactly what it wants you to do in order to trigger the next kind of kind of lovingly staged scenario um so you end up kind of um with the situation that's awkward in like all forms of interactive storytelling where you're kind of looking at the game going like, I'm sorry, uh, uh, this, do I press this? Oh, is this what you want to be press? No, do I need to go over here? Like, you know, there's a moment where you need to fly the little sphere, the little camera sphere into someone's hand. And I just didn't realize that's yeah, what you were supposed to do. That for ages. Like I was and, really close to that person. And yeah. Like, they're asking for light, right? Yeah. Moment. And, and I was, I was like, like, I'm, I'm a giving light. them light. Yeah, right, I'm right. a light. Here's the fucking light. Really, I was just looking right at the here. thing. Yeah. What do you want it on? It could be on this. It could be on that. It could be on that. I'm <laughs> trying everything. There's no, no dice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a very Siri problem, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. If, if this was put into the hands of a, like a big publisher, you know, Devolver, God bless them. They're not, they probably don't have the kind of the testing environments that, that Microsoft or whatever does. I wonder what, shape this game would take if it had that you know mm. that audience testing that, that a large publisher the thing has. is like for these issues i think i think a lot of people will be suitably impressed by it like i, I think you know it, it does what it sets out to do i believe like i'm avoiding talking about plot specifics necessarily but like there are enough kind of sufficiently like ooh moments mm. that's my sci-fi yeah. noise <laughs> ooh. 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 Yeah. No, I'm I'm enjoying it. I really am enjoying it. I got to say. Hmm. And but like yeah, like all of this stuff is there. You know, there's I don't think there's ever a moment where I'm completely focused on the story. Like if you compare it to Solaris or whatever, you know, those kind of films that, that it's kind hmm. of it's yeah. you know, 2001 yeah. and you know, it's never going to have the intent I don't you know, where you you wonder whether games by in, in, introducing interactivity can can get some of the the intensity that that's in a, a yeah. full good film. I constantly have a it's, sense it's, of, am I doing it right? <laughs> what do I do now? Oh God. And like, that is probably 40% of my brain activity. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And like, no, really, I should be thinking, oh, the humans, what is going to happen to the humans? Yes. I got stuck for a long time because. I looked at a, ha- I, I talked about a hatch, <laughs> you know, the response interface. Like I was going around, and I was just like, 
uh, moving around the station and I brought that interface up either by accident or for something else. And I noticed, oh, I can talk about, I can mention this hatch. So I mentioned this hatch and the lady said, uh, yeah, I can't open that for you right now because of, because of this thing that's going on. And so I never talked about a hatch again. Because he was like pissed off at me. She's like, "Yeah, I know. Because we can't help you because of this that we just explained to you." Okay, fine. I'll, I'll shut up about the hatch. Literally, then. the only way to progress in that situation is to talk about a different hatch. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Just look at and report. And if you don't do that, you can't progress. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's definitely an element of when it works well, it really works well, and then when it it doesn't, it has that the anxiety of yeah. someone acting at you at a secret cinema showing in two thousand and one. Like. It's like, oh, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Am I a spaceman? Oh, I'm going to be embarrassed. <laughs> Not drunk enough for this. Um, I, I, I would say that the um, the performances that I've had so far, like voice performances, um, have been like really fucking they're good. good. Like, as they were in Stories Unknown, I, um, Untold, sorry. Yeah, they are good. Um, and also... And also the, uh, the mo- motion capture, like we talked earlier on about like, oh my goodness, they've got they've got um animated people in this it's not top flight stuff no. but but it works it yeah. definitely works and it isn't jarring and, and ugly and horrible it's it's good i think it's both it's it's probably helped and also more impressive because of the fact that it's in a zero g environment mm. so when people you know you, if you watch someone move from one part of the station to another they are kind of yeah, realistically yeah. propelling themselves off surfaces mm. and things but i think also that probably frees them from like having to have characters that walk like it's interesting like it's just clever like it's like it's you know watching someone reach up for a handle and then like uh pull themselves along and propel themselves and then float through the air uh it looks very realistic and i think one of the things that really sells a human character in an environment is um how they you know where their feet land and how Mm. they touch things as they move past them like people do rather than the walk cycle of a Mm. npc in a video game and this gets around that but without having to solve the problem which is clever yeah. How did you guys feel about this versus Tacoma? Like, mm, that's interesting. Uh, that is interesting. I think... Um, tell a story about a space station. There's a cheeky little Tacoma reference in this as well, I think. Is there? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's a reference, but one of the characters, when you get the personnel files, from Tacoma, Washington. Oh, right. And I just went, like, <laughs> you, could, you could have picked anywhere <laughs> in America. Yeah, all the cities. Yeah, you could have picked anywhere, so I think you picked Tacoma for a reason. Um, hmm. I think, I mean... They're very different stories. Yeah, they're so they're so different, and... The control of the story in Tacoma is so absolute, you know, um, you know, every, it's so completely designed. Every th- every narrative thread that happens in that game is being obsessively scripted and, you know, layered and that kind of thing in this sort of incredibly knurled way. This is that loose asking you to have it's much looser this is observation yeah. is yeah observation that's interesting do you i mean well i the thing i had with tacoma that i really liked that i didn't have with this was was the immersive theater thing it was the thing i got from sleep no more which was uh you follow a conversation and somebody leaves it and you carry on following conversation because you want to hear what that is but there's part of your brain's like oh i wonder where this guy goes and then next time you you scrub through the thing and you go back and you follow that person and they yeah. go off some, and you're like yeah. oh well that was happening this was yeah, happening yeah, yeah. and you're exploring the story in a very yeah that felt true. kind of i maybe that's loose is not the word but very like i'm exploring this thing in my own way and discovering it how in whatever order and however i want it's analog i would describe that as kind of like an analog feeling thing where because yeah like uh, i remember um yeah tacoma very much feels like a punch drunk show because but it's one yeah. where you get the aggregate experience of going 16 times 
mm. um, yeah. delivered via the rewind and the fact that you can move around physically. Yeah, in a very efficient way. Yeah. Um, whereas this feels more like a, it's more, it's, it's much more participatory. One thing that occurred to me playing it actually is, I think it would have also made for a really good VR experience. Yeah. Like all of its systems are very VR friendly. Although you'd have to move your head very, very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> back. Yeah, that's true. No. They can't restrict you on that shit. Please, please move your head with the appropriate reverence for this stark if space. If you move it too fast, peril. like the screen just goes black. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate the peril. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like sort of very slowly zoom out of a very deep star field with your actual head while going vroom. That's- I think uh the other comparison I'd make is that I I think the story here maybe the story telling or the story here was more focused and I just followed it start to finish and I was engrossed in it and I just wanted to know what happened next and that was a, a sort of degree of um compellingness that i didn't get from tacoma tacoma's big sprawling thing of like is it eight characters or a lot of different characters all with their own stories and they're they're quite separate they do you know it ties it all together at the end and there's um there's a big kind of plot thing but for a lot of it it's just like here's eight different people all with their own individual relationships and stuff which is the kind of like the center of the the, it, the that's the story the the story isn't really the kind of the plot it's yeah. about the characters yeah. and, the and there's no one person i was mega invested in or especially interested in it was kind of a this big ensemble thing which everything was kind of interesting but nothing nothing was yeah, yeah, yeah. um super compelling whereas this sticks to like here's you know initially one character eventually <laughs> two or three and then well, yeah because then because you look at the, the walkings so tacoma feels very much like a radio play in that way and uh as just dearest and Tiesta, and then the 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 village one by the same um, people um, uh, but, but, but everyone's gone to the rapture everyone's also to the rapture. edith finch and he's, yeah, they are like radio, radio well, shows. And this is, this, this feels like a film, actually. This yeah, is- that's the thing that just occurred to me that like, I think that's the big difference. It's one of the first experiences like this, which is not what happened here, but what yeah. is happening. Mm. And you is, are in, you true. are in the happening. Yeah, you are. And, and it's a very clever way of positioning. <laughs> you are Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. <laughs> Station AI, Mark Wahlberg online. <laughs> <laughs> Do you call him Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> <laughs> Mork Worldbag. Mork Worldbag is uh, modern wallbag. Are <laughs> <laughs> oh, you ruining it? Infinite Worldbag. <laughs> Uh, basically, um, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting, but I think you could probably sum up uh, at least one major set piece in, um, in observation <laughs> through the, through the entire phrase, Call of Duty, Infinite Whirlbag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? Uh, I'm going to put Mork Whirlbag in a game at some point. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that we might have been the first people to ever say that? Because that's right. <laughs> it that's must right. be, because like, if you'd like come up with it, you'd want to share it. If you hadn't just said it. <laughs> 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 well, it would have been until this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, <laughs> as and when you make a immersive sim with passwords, Tom, <laughs> your 0451 should be Mork Worldbag. <laughs> <laughs> 
good. I think that's done justice that's, to, that's to date um, artistically credible sci-fi adventure yeah. uh, observation. Uh, um, Tom, you've been playing something that doesn't star Mork Wellbag. No. Um, <laughs> although wouldn't, that wouldn't sound out of place in this game, uh, which is Druidstone. Uh, speaking of not great names, Druidstone, The Secret of the Menhir Forest. Like even, I mean, all of that is fantasy word salad. Secret of Men Here Forest would work yeah. better. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's the extra the, the really there's the two thirds. There's two thirds. Yeah, it's definitely Men Here, like the standing stone, not Men Here, like the like men the is Men Here, <laughs> Men Here in the forest. Yeah, I believe the standing stone version, um, and it's from the Grimrock people. Although weirdly, they founded a new company, Druidstone. Like, the, the Grimrock people did the Druidstone. <laughs> yep. Uh, but they founded a whole new company to to separate themselves from Grimrock. And so this is say, called, like, you know, we did Grimrock and Grimrock too, but this is not that. It's the only thing. It's called Control Ninja. The company. Control Alt Granite. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, Control it's a Ninja. That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's a fantasy tactics RPG that's of special interest to me because it is the closest game I've seen to what we're making with Tactical Breach Wizards in terms of format. It mm. is uh, between Into the Breach and XCOM. It's, you know, bigger scale and and um, less chess-like than Into the Breach, but a lot simpler and a lot clearer than XCOM, which is exactly the kind of middle ground we're going for. Um, it's uh, story-driven uh, and kind of character-driven. You have three characters um, who are extremely bland <laughs> fighter man healer ranger woman and oh, always the woman small mage <laughs> small mage the small mage is the most is the is least, it actual, actual child it's not a human it's a weird sprite type thing with a round head uh, and he's the as quirky a, funny one as in like a like a fey creature or like a 2d image of a game character uh a fey creature okay <laughs> and he's the um, comedy one is he yeah uh although i just i skipped the dialogue and after, you know, I gave it a chance and I was like, okay, I don't want to hear more of this. And fuck me, there's a lot of, like, initially when it launched, you couldn't skip a whole cutscene. You can only skip individual lines of dialogue. And I'm clicking, I, like, I used a technique I've only ever used in button mashing minigames before where I take both hands on the mouse so I can hammer the button, like, <laughs> lightning fast. So I'm skipping, like, 68 dialogues a second and it's still taking me, like, 10 minutes you to get, get the, through it. The third-party Xbox controller turbo button. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, maximum, no thank you, writers. <laughs> Just... <laughs> that nanosecond that was on screen was too much. Um, and they've now, they've now added an ability, like, if you hit escape twice, it skips the whole scene, which I used copiously. <laughs> um, I don't hate the writing, it just wasn't interesting to me and it wasn't what I was there for. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's grid based and you are, it's quite XCOM-like, except that there's no chance to hit, you always hit. Um, and, uh, you are doing, like, You'll have basic attacks, but really the warrior um, is the only one who's going to use his much. Um, like, your mage can stab with their knife, but that's not really going to uh, help very much. They obviously want the ranger healer woman to be a healer. Like, most of her skills are healing, but she has some rangery stuff, and she's the only one with a bow. So I spec her as a ranger. You get to, like, choose. You get to place gems in various skills, and you also unlock new skills, and you can kind of control the build in a way that I like. It's It's... Uh, that's most of the draw of the game for me it was like, oh, when I get some more points, I can push this character further in the direction I want them to go in. And I put everything. I was just like, fuck this 
goddamn woman healer stereotype. I want her to be just a damage-dealing monster, <laughs> and I'm going to do everything I can. I've put all my points into... Because the points you get, you can spend on anyone, so... Um, <coughs> although they all level up from your missions, and they all unlock new, uh, like, abilities um, uh, to add to their, their skill set at this roughly the same rate the ones that you upgrade are the ones that really count and the upgrade currency is one you can spend on anyone. So I just invested almost all of them on her. And the key thing is like, it's very small numbers like into the breach. And so um, the warriors like basic sword attack does uh, three damage and the ranger's bow only does two damage. The mage's range attack does three damage. It's just literally, she's the healery woman. So she doesn't get to do as much damage as everyone else. Um, and I was just like, fuck that. I'm going to make her do more damage. Um, a lot of creatures have exactly three health, or they'll have exactly six health, and so doing two damage is just frustratingly, like, not uh, right. And I eventually... I got her, like, a new bow that was... Um, that could came with a volley skill that lets her shoot two targets at once, and it also does knockback on every single hit, uh, which is actually really cool, because you can do things like shoot an explosive barrel so that it gets knocked back and then blows up in front of two other enemies and does five damage to both of them and kills them both, uh, which is really cool. Um, and then I upgraded, I eventually unlocked the volley ability myself, so I also had some uses of it from that. Uh, so I had like two uses of volley now. And then I put some gems into it to get an extra use. And then I put some gems in it to get, so that it pierces armor. And um, another gem in it to make it poison people, which means they take extra damage from every other attack they take after that. Um, and then there's another skill that anyone can get that just makes their next attack do one more damage. So I put loads of gems into giving her loads of uses of that so that she could, she had enough. Eventually she had four uses of that, four uses of volley, four uses of another cool ability. And so that's enough that you can pretty much always use it. Like on a, missions are not very long. So you, you probably do more than four attacks, but, um, maybe you do six attacks in a mission, um, that goes well. And so she is able to, for, four of those, hit two targets, poison them both, pierce two levels of armor, and do, uh, I guess, three damage, uh, but with knockback, so if they're against a wall, it can be four damage, and finally, like, she's just about a damage dealer. <laughs> and so eventually it worked. It felt like the game was fighting me every turn, because like, <laughs> every time she leveled up, we'd be like, which of these four healing abilities do you want? Would you like to upgrade your resurrection, or your healing, or your super healing, or your mega other healing, or your make the other people stronger, or sacrifice your turn to make everyone else good? <laughs> no, I want her to actually fucking do something. Um, so that was my journey with this game, basically. Uh, <laughs> it's... Um, I really wanted to do well because it's so it's so similar in format to what we're making, and I want I want to know that this is like a good uh, that the market for this kind of game is is big. Um, but at the same time, it is very generic. It looks lovely. It's really beautifully drawn, and just it just has a nice like clarity to it, and just kind of feels it's 3D inviting. Or, or, um, yeah, 2D. Uh, the UI I think is good. Um, kind of feels like it's not getting in your way, but also gives you lots of information. Um, I intensely miss the rewind ability that we have in our game because we have uh so into the breach has one rewind per turn this game just copies into the breach system 100 it's you have one rewind per turn sorry not no you don't uh do you <laughs> yeah maybe you do <laughs> uh, but you can also undo moves for free so if you've only moved but you didn't act you can undo that um but in tactical breach wizards you can undo 
uh, every action and every move all the way back to the start of your turn for free as many times as you like and you can try everything you want and when you're learning a game oh my god <laughs> desperately want that i was just like eight times in a row i made a fatal mistake that screwed my whole mission because i didn't understand a rule about the game and i just had to restart the mission it's like oh i've just completely fucked it because i didn't know that uh like the, even just like how they show health there'll just be five hearts and then a gap and then two hearts and like do they, does that mean they regenerate two health every mission or is that two health armor because they do have armor but i don't see that stat anywhere mm. on the health bar and it turns out that's just so that when they have like 17 health you can look at the groupings of five and see that it's three lots of five plus two therefore it's 17 so it has nothing to do with mechanics at all and there's just loads of stuff like that loads of rules like that that were just a pain in the ass to learn the hard way uh but it was also, it has a really bad snowballing problem because those gems you get that level up your your abilities, you only get them from completing extra option objectives and they're all difficult and just an extra pain in the ass on top of what you're trying to do. So if you're finding the game hard, you'll get zero of them. Mm. I played on medium, I couldn't do any option objectives. I got no gems, so I couldn't get better. So I was full, fell even further behind the curve, so the game got harder and it was already too hard. So I immediately put it on easy. And then on easy, I can always do the secondary objectives. So I always get the gems, so I get it right with people, so I do better and I... I get right. ahead, even further ahead of the curve, which is just a bad system. Just stop making systems like that. Um, but uh, to be honest, that's kind of, I was all right with that in the end because I just wanted a shitload of gems to make my ranger healer <laughs> to <laughs> be actually good rather than uh, a bad stereotype. Um, basically, I, I enjoyed the whole thing pretty much. Um, it was very satisfying. It's uh, all the abilities you get kind of are, it's fun to figure out the optimal combinations of those. Can you respec? Yes. Uh, yeah, freely. In fact, you can just take gems out of anything and put mm. them into anything else. Um, buying new equipment is really cool. Um, it's interesting, although it's still a snowballing problem, um, but getting new stock in the shop, the way you do that is you find crates in the level that have that stock in them. And you just, if you find that crate, then when you come back to base, the shop has new stock. And if you don't, you don't. Um, which is weird because it means like, we, if their stock was in that crate, why did we give it to the shopkeeper so that he could sell it back to us? Like, I can't afford half this stuff. I can only afford, like, one of these items. We just gave them five. Do we not get, like, you know, some of these just for free? Um, but the, the weapons themselves and the items themselves are, like, really significant upgrades. One of them was, like, every time I get hit, uh, I drop a heart. And a heart is just like a free health point. So it's like, if they did one damage to me and I dropped the heart, I do get that back by just walking one space to pick it up. Um, another one uh, for the... that I put on my warrior was a thing where it actually reduces his health, but it gives him one point of armor. So every incoming damage he uh, is reduced by one. He also had just got to like his nearly maximum level and he could have inherently just one point of armor. He's just like that tough. And reducing all incoming damage by two is insanely good. Uh, things are only ever really doing three damage at most of you. Most things are doing two. And when he is attacked, he does one damage back to them. It's like a barbed armor or something. Um, and this game has attacks of opportunity. So if you're in melee range of someone and you move at all, they get a free attack on you. And that's the kind of bane of your life for most of the game. That's what another reason I had to restart the mission multiple times. You're like, oh, I didn't know I was going to get hit if I did that. Fuck. Um, if you only listen to the jokey uh, wizard boy... <laughs> He would have told you all about it. Yeah, Mork maybe. Well bag. <laughs> Good old Mork. Yeah, like I said, it would not be out of place in this game. Uh, 
but so that led to a really cool immersion tactic which was um my warrior just doesn't take any like you fucking gargoyles cannot hurt him you do two damage i have two armor you will never hurt me how does the how is the difficulty scale like would so in 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 medium difficulty would it be doing three damage like four damage i don't know because i only played one mission on medium and i immediately put it down um easy mode works which is a point in its credit like mutant year zero it's easy mode is not fucking easy it's insanely difficult so good good on druid stone for having an easy mode that's actually easy uh but this barbed armor thing this kind of trash enemy not even like a super low level enemy like one that's a threat to everyone else they cannot damage my warrior and if they attack him they take one damage and the game has attacks opportunities so every time you move when you're in range of them they attack you so if there's three of them going back and, and you can forth. also another <laughs> unusual back and forth. exactly like <laughs> this game also has a, a feature where movement points can be spent individually you only get one action but you'll move if you have five if you can move five squares you can move five times one square each right. like and so i just did that it's like three of them like i'm just like oh, i've moved into melee range of all three of you if i take one step left you all three of you attack me and i take no damage you all take one each <laughs> and then i go oh i'm actually gonna go back to where i was you know and then it just wipes them all out I just killed like three things for no actions because they all killed themselves on me there's something that worries me a little bit is after i finished it really felt just over and done you can replay missions and there's some stars i didn't get on on certain ones of them and i liked it i like this game i want, kind of want to play more of it and it wasn't sure it was like at least eight hours long i think probably like 12 hours um so it's substantial but there's something that feels kind of throwaway about it like i'm just done and it's just over and i don't want my game to feel like that I, mm. so i i really want to think about like i mean what i feel like i want from it is just some kind of on endless challenge mode which is like keep throwing enemies at me and let me find my let me walk about in front of gargoyles <laughs> yeah forever yeah that tactic was fucking cool i want to know like <laughs> if they're doing three damage at me so i am taking one damage but i'm still doing one damage back is that worth it I and mean, is there situations where that's cool and you know yeah like i said i was playing on easy so i was never really pushed to my limit um and it would be cool just to find out what the limit is and just have some kind of you know i'd like a daily challenge in this mm. i'd like something even when i was playing even before i'd finished the story missions i wanted some way to just like let me just test this team like now that i put these points into this and i'm trying this build give me some arena thing i can go into and just kill as much as i possibly want to see if this works well mm. and also another thing that i think makes it feel disposable that i hope to avoid is it's every mission is very custom like every mission has a unique victory condition every mission has some unique mechanic like on this one there's all these bombs that are going to blow up and you've got to defuse them on this one there's a giant ice demon that's following you around and that it's variety which is a positive thing compared to xcom it's doing a much better job of variety like every xcom mission is basically the same uh, except the zombie ones in war of the chosen um and this is the other end of the spectrum i think where every mission is so different that it just kind of feels like the core game isn't there it's just yeah, a so series normal. of novelty rides that you go on and it, it wasn't that i didn't get to engage with the combat system because i did but it yeah that it was lacking a kind of core game that that i could go back to hmm. yeah it's an interesting problem of like wanting the normal endless mode to just play with the systems in mm. like it's there's sort of, i guess that's what yeah. i want in rts is it's kind of like an rts campaign like that was, that was always my yeah, yeah. That was always my complaint about like StarCraft 2. Like they're doing really unique in-depth stuff or really specific stuff with every mission, but I just wanted to sit back and just play a proper match with my base and their base and see who wins. 
Yeah, right. Although the StarCraft 2 defense, it has those modes. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, yeah, I think that's an interesting kind of problem for RTSs or strategy games generally is like sort of puzzle missions or, you know, single player type things are really good for getting people in and making it clear what they can do. But it doesn't feel like the end of a system like that. Like if you created a suitably interesting strategic sandbox, then the end goal is presumably just being able to take your hands off the wheel yeah. as a designer and say, just play with these pieces and they'll still be fun mm. rather than requiring a conceit or a meta structure or something like that. Yeah. You've been playing more Mordhau? Mordhau, yeah, I have been playing quite a lot. I, I just play Mordhau now, basically. <laughs> How now, Mordhau? I saw that um, amazing uh, character select thing. <laughs> oh, where is part so of the world? Yeah. yeah, like I figured that out now. There's one particular map where the character select is just a little distant island that you can get on there and just like twat about in the background. <laughs> and the video I saw was like, someone had done that. So it's, it's a view of the character select screen from the perspective mm. of someone who's choosing their character and some asshole has shown up next to it. But what they've chosen to do is just really passively, aggressively play the loot to the yeah. screen. <laughs> it's got a good loot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's got a loot where you can play eight different notes and that is sufficient for people to stand in dual lobbies playing Desposito. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so like uh you know to briefly recap if it was two episodes ago i guess i introduced it but mordhau is the kind of detailed medieval combat um sword fighting multiplayer game um i i i like it a lot i love its systems um i had pretty big reservations about the tenor of its uh community um in some regards um since then what i've kind of discovered is dual servers um, so actually I was kind of under the mistaken apprehension, um, impression, sorry, previously that, um, a dual mode was coming. And what I didn't realize is that it, it's just kind of been invented by the community. <laughs> so if you filter by deathmatch, like there is a deathmatch, you know, the mode, you know, there's, there's battle royale and there's like a co-op against the AI mode that I've literally never played because <laughs> I just play the multi, the competitive stuff. Um, and then there's like deathmatch and team deathmatch, which I just kind of ignored because you know what they are. Actually, the majority of deathmatch servers are dual servers because that is the way to enact this. So it's usually a small map, opt 24 people, 12 to 24 people on the server. And uh, because it's like a vote to kick system, people will vote to kick anyone who FFAs, who free-for-alls, basically anyone who just runs into a fight. The appropriate thing to do, because the game has an extensive list of emotes, and I fucking love this. This is where things click for me in sword fighting games, um, from Jedi Knight through Blade Symphony and other games I've been into. Uh, you walk up to somebody and then you, uh, uh, the, so you, un there's a sword salute emote that you have to unlock. Um, so most people don't have that, but there's a sword twirl emote, like a flourish that everyone has. So normally it's a flourish to indicate I would like, while looking at someone to say, I would like to duel you. And if they flourish back, then you fight. And so the actual score, like it's a deathmatch map. So she's like first 30 kills and then the map rotates. That's not the point. The point is just hanging out and, and dueling people basically and experimenting with loadouts and, and all of this stuff that the game hmm. does really well. And, um, a bit like I was saying earlier that I think, you know, I appreciate that actually it's possible to do kinds of online game that just weren't possible before. This feels like one of them in quite a low key way. I've mentioned it, the, the detail of the combat system and the kind of, the parries and the feints and the attack morphs and the chambering and the fact that all of that kind of it's physicsy in a way, like despite the fact that it's, it's constrained in a way that prevents it from being complete slapstick, but you know, you still have eight directions of attacks and it still matters. And there's still complex interactions between things feels really good. And, um, 
the fact that you can have that happening at that level of detail between like 12 different duels that are happening simultaneously feels like a kind of meaningful um, escalation of what's been done in that sort of genre previously. The other thing that's cool about it is there's like, you can really like the characters, even though it has the problem I've outlined where everyone is just a beefy white man, basically who grunts, um, they're quite expressive because it maps your mouse movements and, and, you know, and your movements of your swords onto the game in a pretty close to one-to-one fashion. And you have quite close granular control over, you know, picking up and dropping items and things like that. And, um, and granular damage and stuff as well. So there's like, you know, you can nod, like you can nod, you can shake your head in an analog way, not tied to the emote system. And then there's all the emotes and things. And then, um, and then voice emotes and things like that. And it's actually, the the counterpoint i think to the, its community problems particularly in like the big massive 64 player servers is the sort of daft moments that come in in a dual environment particularly when people are behaving themselves you do encounter dickheads in that environment people who are either messing up for other people who are, or who are just dickheads um but like um i had a really really good fight with someone earlier and um something that can happen if you run low on stamina is you can be disarmed and often sometimes if you get disarmed in a duel, you're fair game, right? Like you, you probably just get killed. Um, but I got disarmed and, um, my current loadout is like a mixture of light and medium armor, a bastard sword, which can be either held one handed or, or two handed, or tend to use it one handed and a dagger. And, um, I have the dagger because I have a dodge talent that allows me to sidestep, uh, like do it. Basically, if I do a sideways jump, I do like a, a dash, like a short dash. And there's lots of really cool considerations. A lot of people prefer like two-handed swords or long weapons. And so you need to be able to stay within their range. But like, because I'm not wearing particularly heavy armor, like if a pole axe catches me in the side of the head, my head comes off and then I don't have a head anymore. And that is bad. So there's a lot of like trying to stay in close range and doing parries and dodging things. And that consumes my stamina really quickly. And so there's a danger of getting disarmed. So the dagger is there as a kind of like hold that weapon, basically. And this happened earlier today, actually, where I was dueling a guy who heavy armor big 200 sword which is kind of standard loadout and sword comes down and i parry it but my bastard tool goes flying up my hands like at a kind of particular angle based on the attack and it's that kind of granularity that makes it feel cool and i dash backwards to try and get out of the way basically and draw the dagger then i realized that he'd stopped and he turns and he looks at my um my bastard sword on the floor then looks at me and then looks back at it and nods (laughs) <laughs> and then, just, and I just go and pick it up again. Oh, and then wow. he does the sword salute and then we just keep going. And oh, it was nice. like, and that was his choice to, to let me do that, to like say pick up the sword. And then we fought for another two minutes, I think, before I think he won that one. But it was really. I thought you were going to say you threw the dagger at him. <laughs> yeah, does that as well. I can, you can throw the dagger at people, but like, um, uh, I, I've actually done that. Someone earlier, uh, dashed backwards out of the fight, ran, uh, drew a crossbow and turned and I managed <laughs> to throw the dagger into his forehead before he could fire it. And it was just <laughs> like, it's so good. Um, I, like, so I've been playing that a lot and I, I'm still, I'm crawling towards intermediate at it. I think like good players are very good. Um, I still feel very early on the journey, but that's, um, it's been like really consistently, um, a lot of fun. And also it's nice to then be able to jump into <clears throat> the frontline mode, which is the more battlefield like sort of big mass combat thing. And then apply that kind of drilled, like the, the character I built for myself for duels, I don't tend to use in frontline because 
the chance of taking an arrow in the side of the head out of nowhere is too high to risk the armor. Like I still wear a helmet because always wear a helmet kids is really good advice, um, for sword fighting and riding a bike. Um, but like I got a couple of good gifts out of a guy who wasn't wearing a helmet and struggled to read like a particular attack that I would do with a two handed sword when I was still using a, like a Zweihander. Cause there's lots of things you can do. Like you can, so when you attack from a direction, that's a canned animation, basically. You know, it starts and then it swings in front of you. But because you have, you know, rotational control of your torso, you can slow down and speed up canned attacks by how you position yourself. So you can start an attack. Let's say I start an attack facing you, but then turn away from you and then turn back towards you. That might really fuck up your sense of when that attack is actually going to land because I move my canned animation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... Um, I found, um, a particular, that's often the thing that catches you off guard. And there's just a guy at dueled three times in a row who wasn't wearing a helmet and who got caught up by that every single time. And every single time it took his head off in one go. And it was just this amazing <laughs> kind of series of like, Oh, it's happened again. Like, cause you don't even expect it. Cause you, if you do it, if you're really trying to finesse the speed, you don't even really see the attack connect because you're not looking in the right direction when the sword is actually in the place, but you just sort of like, you hear the kind of like wet slap of like, sword hitting man and then you get the kill feed and then the head goes flying past it's like it's 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 really good it's it's the best first person melee combat system i think i've ever played uh with i think like i'd love to see more done with it but yeah like i was gonna say it's really fun to then go into the the big battle mode and apply some of that stuff because occasionally you know a fight breaks into a one-on-one and you can actually apply some of that dual logic and um, being able to like win in that environment feels really, really good. I've also been playing loads of the battle royale, although the battle royale is, I think, strangely unrewarding in the way that all battle royale is, in that you can just spawn next to no chests whatsoever and be chased by people with swords and murdered. You can spawn next to a chest and it's only got like one massive shield in it. And so you're a turtle now. Um, a helpless turtle. Um, but that can also provide some really, really, really good moments. Like, having to i got killed earlier by a man on a horse with a rake because he did he pressed the button i didn't realize you could tilt with a rake because if you're if you're on a horse going at maximum speed with a spear or a lance you can press f and you go into a couched position so you're like a joust right you've mm. got it under your arm at which point does loads of damage and this guy was charging me and i had a i had a sledgehammer and he was on a horse with a rake and we were both naked <laughs> <laughs> naked work men welcome to my dream um this weird dream i had and um <clears throat> i got ready to like try and bash the horse's face in with a sledgehammer I guess, <laughs> that was my plan for this scenario and then as he's charging towards me because i assumed he was going to swing the rake but then as he was charging towards me he went into like a jousting tilt position <laughs> with the rake and the rake just caught me in the face and i was dead and it was like that was a that was an experience you know that is, that is <laughs> the, the more that- entertaining ways i've died in a battle royale <laughs> In that scenario, the, presumably the prongs of the rake are not really like stabbing you. It's kind of hitting you like yeah, flat on, just, right? Yeah, I got hit by the sort of the, I guess the I think knuckles. the sheer the speed and force. <laughs> got punched by a rake somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, um, one of my favorite, uh, creepypastas. Um, no, it's good, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, it remains very, very good. And, um, uh, yeah, I will happily 1v1 anyone <laughs> and lose. Shall we do some questions? Yes, absolutely. Tom, have you stopped being bothered by a moth? Yep. Good. It's rolling down. Excellent. Um, our first question this week comes from Kane, who writes, Hello, 
you commonly field questions in the format, what is the best noun in gaming? I'd like to ask, what is the best noun in gaming? <laughs> Regards, Kane. I'm glad someone else is paying attention to the format we get questions in. Because <laughs> yeah. we do. Um, best nouns. I mean, there's, there's a lot of obvious candidates. Gun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Going straight for the main one. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, uh, like, uh, cart. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, another I good one. I, I think I was thinking more in terms of the sound of the word. Cause oh. my first thought was, was in, uh, Void Bastards. I recently learned that a foon is worth two slag. Just <laughs> like, well, I like all those words. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, yeah, there's a good, there's a good case to be made for the best jargon. Definitely. Yeah. Best sounds. I was enjoying the, the descriptions of the jargon. I think in, uh, in Void Bastards, cause yeah, it's like a, calling a, an enemy a screw as well mm. is, redolent of i don't know quite oh, what, know what at this point uh super giant are good at nouns especially mm. bastion with their gas fellas and oh yeah the... yeah right oh yeah you've gone more for the actual vocabulary of games mm. whereas i'm in the sort of sort of the thing of like games. a macro kind of yeah, level I think, sort of what I are think the mine is nouns? like given this thing is this a good name for it right mm. yeah i'm trying to think what are the the um the really important ones i think actually having said gun and cart i'm now struggling to think of anything else games do well door if it can be a full phrase then obviously mine is a grappling hook (laughs) (laughs) that's like a grappling that that's a a verb and a noun it is (laughs) an adjective it's it's an adjective it's it's adjectival right because it's Mm. descriptive yeah Yeah. obviously grapple is a verb yeah yeah was it grapple in this house grapple is a verb (laughs) (laughs) stealth is a noun (laughs) yep that's true um let's think uh bomber man (laughs) (laughs) just like the name of any game that's a proper name yeah. It's Mr. B Man. Yeah. <laughs> can we have Brian Omerman? <laughs> it's hyphenated, but can we have Die Hard Man? <laughs> uh, yeah, what else are good? Uh, wizard, uh, I would probably be remiss if I didn't say Wizard. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think, good, you know, you, you stand to profit directly from just the fact that people <laughs> love that word. stand to profit directly from Wizards. <laughs> you do. You stand to, well, no, more specifically from the fact that people like that word. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, if, we if, are. Playing on that. If you'd called it like tactical breach mages, yeah. you would have lost, I would say 25% of the value. There of the are, yeah. A lot of people have replied with like clever joke titles that are like good puns, but they're all like too good. It's too slick. It's got to sound slightly awkward. And dumb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think like maybe a real like, wizard. I was avoiding saying wizard in the first part of this answer because I didn't want to like fall into something I say all the time. But actually, I think there's something kind of wonderful about the word wizard because it's yeah. so silly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is. There's something so self-serious about a mage. If if you if, if there was magic <laughs> yeah. in the world and someone came up to you and said, I'm "Oh, so how, what, how are you? What, what are you up to these days?" I'm a mage. You'd think, "Oh, fuck you, <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Me and your mage, <laughs> your mage it's education." Like when, it's like when um, people in games media describe themselves as journalists. <laughs> 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 oh, or uh, uh, essay writers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Have you read my latest essay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you wrote about fucking Bomberman, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Bomberman and wizards. Yeah. Um, like, there, is there a similarly, is there a word that means for writer what wizard means for user of magic? <laughs> is there? I don't think there is. Cause, <laughs> like, no. I wish there was. There are, 
No. Word idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think Brian. there are a lot of people try for that and they all sound really, really accidentally self serving. Like, yeah. oh, like, I'm a humble scribbler of. <laughs> of yes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you could just use your, for what the publication or publications you work for, like, yeah. as, as. I that, write as for as well. PC thing. Gamer, like, that is quite wizardly. Yeah, the, the, um, the. Hack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. um, the uh, press sneak fuck is the actual uh, <laughs> That's, that is actually the correct answer yeah. um the um yeah the the, the way you would def- express this honorably if you were a, a a wizard i guess would be to say like rather than go for any of those purely definitive or you know self-identifying terms to say you don't wouldn't ever say like i'm a wizard i'm a mage You'd say like i do uh i um i throw fireballs um <laughs> Maybe twice a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then I have to go to sleep. Your Twitter bio. <laughs> like, your Twitter bio would start with fireball thrower, dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I write, I write some, um, yeah, about, about games. No, I, I don't play that much. I have, games. um, you know, one, I can cast, um, you know, tr- uh, once every long rest. Um, but no, no more frequently than that, unless it's a weekend. Um, <laughs> No, I'm a mage, a mighty mage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, mage is biblical, right? Like, yeah. fuck yeah. mages. Yeah, fuck <laughs> mages. Um, fuck mages, the risque sequel to Tactical Breach. <laughs> <laughs> it's a DLC, but it's rated differently. Wow. Well, I keep saying, I keep saying, everyone keeps making these XCOM-like games or whatever games where you can't kiss each other. Like in Fire Emblem, it was the problem with yeah. Battletech. It'll be the problem with Tactical Breach Wizards. I suspect you've got some time to fix it, but not yet. <laughs> Fuck mages. That's the, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, you know, mages has that biblical connotation. Wizard, I think, is, I actually don't know what the etymology of wizard is. It's just, I think it's got, it's got a kind of, it's, I really want to know. Is it's it a, old it's, or is it, it new? Must, I don't know. It's, it's in a wonderful place. Did J.R. Tolkien kind of make it up? Do you think it's related to like G. Wiz and things like Wiz Band? Maybe. Like, Willikers. <laughs> it's, it's sort of, yeah, cause it's sort of, it's got, it's been sort of tainted forever by being something that, it denotes things that 50s schoolboys thought were cool, yeah. right? Like, um, yeah. yeah, I really admire Diablo 3's balls for calling the, the mage class just wizard. It's just, yeah. straight up, it's just a fucking wizard. Whether you're a man or a woman, it's just a wizard. That is yeah, a you're wizard. a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, oh, cause you're a you wizard know, player. There's a place for witch and warlock in this kind of pantheon of, of nouns, but I think, I think wizard connotates a certain like out and out just i'm a fucking wizard yeah. you know what i mean it's, it's sort of no nonsense even though it's all nonsense which is a kind of hard thing to hold in your head you know what i mean it's like it's a no nonsense approach to being like a middle class person with their own library and a bathrobe it's kind of what where does it come from alex well uh my extensive research has, has turned up that the um it's from the middle english uh for wise wizard is um, oh, of course wise oh, of course yeah wizard. that makes sense, <laughs> that makes sense. and probably like but he's wise and hard yeah <laughs> wise hard harry <laughs> you're wise and hard harry <laughs> as a slang word meaning excellent it is recorded from 1922 gosh it looks like a mage and it's genuine. to be honest wise hard harry sounds like a character from fuck, fuck. mages <laughs> wizard uh, mage is actually older it's from 1400 wise hard harry sounds like a guy Ritchie character <laughs> <laughs> It comes from Magus. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Fuck Magus. <laughs> just raises further questions to me. Uh, yeah, so, um, it's wizard, isn't it? The yeah, that's, that is the noun of games. Yeah. Stealth wizard, if we were allowed to combine two. Well, so, <laughs> you've, you've successfully utilized gun. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. You've right got way. Wizard coming. How did Heat do? Or Signature? <laughs> Which was the more key... What would you say was the more key noun? Um, it's tough because it's trying to evoke... Uh, well, so it's, it's called that... Like, Heat was an actual mechanic at one point. <laughs> Technically still is in the finished game. Thank you very much. It's still in there. Um, but... Like, Signature doesn't work by itself at all. <laughs> Do you have to prove your identity at any point in the game? No. We, you could put that in. We kept trying to work it in in some way. Like, like when when someone's locked onto you, they're locked onto your heat signature. And if when you're tracking someone, when you get a mission target and it's marked on your heart, it's because you have their heat signature. And When you get a mission... <laughs> like, why, is that the only way you're allowed to say heat signature? Heat signature. <laughs> well, why don't, why don't you, when you take a mission, you write your name on the screen I was like I'm such a literalist that I wanted the logo to be like heat in big block capitals and signature in like a scrawly like, thing it occurred to me that if you thank god those, I have John <laughs> if you got those key nouns you actually end up with the phrase gun heat wizard which um, is either a very good name for an anime mm. or a shoot 'em up mm. you know if you ever want to make like a kind of Ikaruga or R-type sort of game yeah. I think gun heat wizard would be the I had, there's a name I had written down for, that I just liked as a name that I thought would be a good name for a game that I recently found out is a game. Uh, Blood Pressure. Nice. <laughs> just heard that in isolation thought, hmm, yeah, if you read that the other way, it sounds cool. <laughs> uh, John has pointed out that our titles are getting one word longer each time. <laughs> He's worried about, he has to make like the Steam store widget things, that, like tiny little boxes that contain the full name of the game. He's like, can you have some more fucking words? Please? We can't go to four. We can't go. <laughs> Look, there's a game on Steam. Fuck mage. <laughs> there's a game in Steam called, uh, sometimes I have to believe that reality isn't real so that I can cope with it or something like that. I guess. Right. Yeah. Literally 20 words. Yeah. There's also the most egregiously named game on Steam. Ah, a uh, reckless disregard yeah, for yeah. gravity. You alphabetical yeah. masterminds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, next question comes from, uh, Reneko who writes, dear crate and crow barista over the course of playing the heat signature, sorry, heat signature dailies. <laughs> uh, my play style is completely transformed going from relatively normal play to using drastically different control scheme to take advantage of odd interactions. How often a regular and competitive play, completely different beasts, not just in terms of more complex strategies, but also in terms of different controls and using more obscure commands regards, uh, Reneko. I don't have, uh, a personal example of this, but I wanted to just, um, mentioned that it's been uh, fascinating to see people evolve this this style for heat signature because uh Reneko and uh and or terran i think were among the first to sort of discover this weird way of playing heat signature where you can use we have this function where you can pathfind somewhere like if you just the ship's empty and you just want to get back to your ship we just let you click on the ship middle click on the ship and you your path there and uh whatever but if you're using a slipstream that makes time go slower and you go faster and you path even when it runs out, you continue at that speed, which sounds like a huge exploit and we would fix it if it was game-breaking. But the thing is, because time isn't slow anymore, it's just insanely fast. <laughs> like Trying to like shoot anyone at that speed is, is an insane skill challenge. Um, and so when they discovered it, I asked them, like, do you want us to fix this or is it kind of fun? And they said, it's fun. <laughs> Leave it in. So we just <laughs> left it in. And so there's this weird way of playing heat signature where you can like path and then unslipstream and then... Um, uh, it requires incredible skill to make any good use of it, but it's technically better than um, than the other way. Hmm. That's very cool. I think um, 
I think there is a, a distinction between like, I thought there was always a distinction between how how you approach a game competitively, how you don't. But I think these sorts of control scheme things, you might inherit the the right way to play, quote unquote, from a guide. But I think setting this up for yourself is the moment where you know that your attitude to the game has changed. Mm. And I think that's quite a satisfying moment. It's mm. like where you start to configure it for yeah. being good. Like I'm approaching this with Mordhau now, where I know that it'd be advantageous for me to, because you can, as well as using the mouse to bind directions for to indicate the direction of the attack you want to do, you can bind particular attacks from particular directions, particular keys. And people recommend that you do because you may want to do an overhead swing sometimes, but without having to look up a bit, you know, or move your mouse up. So it's faster to do that. And I'm getting to the point now where I'm probably going to start binding things, especially, which is a, like, it feels like crossing a particular Rubicon into like, I'm taking this seriously. It's, now. Well, it's the point at which you're making choices over stuff rather than the game kind of telling you what you yeah. need to do and you kind of acquiesce against it's where, it. Yeah, so you go from you, like sort of just learning to kind of proactively yeah. kind of staking things out. This is cool. what's important to me. This is how I want to do it. And yeah. yeah. Like games are generally better, like in a very broad sense, games are better for that kind of depth, you know, yeah. even if it, it's an exploit, it's, better to know that it's there you know mm. unless it breaks the game in some way you know for anybody playing it like if if the out of the box way of controlling a game is absolutely works but then you know, there's an extra step you can take that's a good game i think i remember a bizarre thing in indiana jones the fate of atlantis where i discovered if you held down zero and then pressed nine in a fight indy did a sucker bunch that would knock anyone out in one hit and they couldn't block it until and so it felt like a cheat although oh, i discovered a cheat code for the game but then there's one particular nazi who won't let you do it like he actually has a line of dialogue about it when you use it on him and he's like that work, trick won't work on me jones <laughs> go, well, what the fuck is this is this a cheat or is this how you play the game or <laughs> the trick being punching yeah it's like you can you can always punch but and i think the i think maybe the number keys were involved in some ways because i discovered this by accident but yeah if you held down zero and press nine you would wind up a punch. I got a special animation for it and you'd just knock them out immediately, which is, you know, crazy overpowered. You're breaking the game, but um, it was obviously intended in some way. It's very weird. Mm, it's a weird one. Our next question uh, comes from Tom, who writes a long email, so I have to summarize it. Uh, but it begins, Hello, Crate Show and Crowbar Wielders. First time, long time. Uh, if you would, please step into my time machine. On a previous episode, there was an anecdote I related to about being called to the big scary office of doom in school because a PC gamer issue was mistaken for something racier. In my case, I had an issue seized on the schoolyard Though after some investigation, the teacher returned the material to me with something of a smirk. In hindsight, that seems wild to me because the ads of the time in that issue alone were actually somewhat questionable. A full page close up of a woman's cleavage for leisure suit, Larry an ad for, I think shadow warrior, which seemed to feature a mass of practical gore effects and so on as a child with a PC gamer subscription, in Canada, receiving American issues, I spent most of my time growing up with a healthy stack of demo discs that came with each issue I received. But even at that young age, I remember having some sensitivity to content that was too extreme. So Tom goes on to describe the experience of encountering um, a variety of games, including Carmageddon, that were obviously kind of um, age inappropriate and kind of having to reconcile with exposure to a lot of stuff that was uh, grisly um, at a young age. Uh, goes on to write, Nowadays, we have well-developed perspectives, naturally questioning what is tasteful in the games we play. Um, but think back to your days as intrepid, intrepid kid PC gamers. Did you ever encounter something in your early days that made you feel, without consideration of the rules, uh-oh, this isn't for me? Or did anyone on the pod have no limits, willfully eroding their sensitivity to the fullest extent? And if so, do they seem warped to the others on the pod? 
Do you feel there was a turning point where Chris needs to scroll down a bit? <laughs> Do you feel there's a turning point at which you became a more conscientious gamer? In addition to the above Carmageddon reaction, I think Deus Ex was a strong turning point for how I viewed my actions in games. Hope this wasn't too long. I hope none of you have trouble getting back from the 90s. Love the pod. Best wishes, Tom. Um, yeah, I definitely, like when I was younger, uh, uncritically enjoyed violence. And actually, the Blood remake that came out recently has has sort of brought this to light a bit because that's just a game where, like, the thing I loved about it was just fucking throwing dynamite at people and it shreds them into jibs and it's just everything's mm. gloriously bloody and violent. At the time, I just, that was 100% positive. No no reservations about this at all. And, like, the cultists would, like, scream and they really kind of sounded kind of human and you could set them on fire <laughs> and this is all, like, I'm just a, a amoral kid with a toy box of, um, of destruction and uh, loved all of it. And now... I think there's still something to be said for like, I think one of the reasons I liked it was just to have a particular taste for like, I want weapons to, to be powerful and to take fewer hits to kill things. That's just what feels satisfying to me. Um, but the aesthetic of it and the theming of it and the, the way it's presented as, as ultra violence and gore now does not have the same appeal to me. Uh, and I also remember Hitman being a kind of turning point on this where like, at first it's just like, wow, this is a whole like sandbox of, you know, stealth where you can get the jump on anybody and you can basically there's you know 50 guards in this level and you can sort of methodically murder every single one of them to make the space safe for yourself and there was a time when i just completely enjoyed that i'm just like oh this is great and everyone with a claw hammer and like kill every single one of them and then after a time it became uh disturbing to me <laughs> and then uh these days it's it become it feels very weird to, like kill anyone you don't strictly have to it just mm. you know feels off I have a similar experience. I think my experience of those games as a kid, like I had two, there are two angles on this. One was the feeling of, oh, I'm getting into something that might not be, it might be too scary for me, but too scary for me and too violent for me were really distinct things. Mm. Like, cause I loved Carmageddon when I was a kid and I mm. loved Doom and I loved Quake, um, like big cartoonish, the violent games. I loved Duke Nukem. Um, and in those games, because actually the thing that, uh, particularly in first-person games, I used to find first-person games, like, so immersive they were frightening. <laughs> like, you could fall into them and, um, you know, almost sort of nightmare-inducing in terms of the 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 places they suggested and the threat they suggested. So, like, firing the shotgun and seeing the Doom Imp explode in a shower of giblets was comforting because it was like oh i'm in control of this scary environment does that make sense yeah. so like i would i would try like hexen or something off a demo disc and be scared until i calibrated my sense of how easy it was for me to kill the things that were scary <laughs> in that environment um like i remember um there was a amiga 1200 um alien themed first person shooter um which was, was it, was it Alien Brood or something like that? It was a sequel to a top-down game. I used to find that really scary because the really truncated view distance would oh, cause the aliens mean. to keep come rushing out. Alien of, Brood, yeah. I think it was Alien Brood 2. Right. Alien Brood 1 was top-down. Yeah. Um, right. like, uh, Contra sort of thing. Uh, do I mean Contra? Maybe not. Contra does have a top-down bit. Yeah. But it's mostly like the, the, in, the inside bits of Contra. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then 2, I think, was a doom clone basically yeah. but with a really aggressively truncated view distance so 
it was basically just everything was it was modular corridors basically and everything was pitch black after a certain point and that was terrifying because the aliens would come kind of sketching out of it also i've been t- scared of the xenomorph from alien for basically <laughs> as long as i can remember i think i saw that film far too young and um so that was very particularly scary but i remember really vividly like as soon as you can blast it into giblets it's like oh i can handle this i think dead space gets a lot of my edge out of this mm. where like that is a game about cutting things limbs off to prevent them from functioning properly and if those creatures were not scary and not horrific and and um, yeah. otherworldly you'd feel pretty yeah. <laughs> weird about that because they're remember- just horrible enough that if you if you can cut off their fucking thrashing clawing horrible thing you're like thank god i can because i remember that when that was first being pr'd like the, the line that they were using was strategic dismemberment <laughs> and we were kind of rolling i remember rolling it was oh my, what has ea got up to yeah. now we had no idea at that point that oh this is a really fucking good game <laughs> Oh, it's all right. It's really good. Yeah, but but for the reason you said, you know, like that there is a sort of a, it fits into the narrative and setting. It is. One of the things I like about it actually is, is it's almost not about it being scary, but just like you, when you come out of a fight, you just, you have, you actually kind of feel the way the, protagonist in a horror movie feels when they're that's uh, that shot when they're flecked with blood and they come out of it and their eyes are heavy breathing and they're not like happy they survived they're not scared currently they're just in this kind of state like oh my god what does this fucking do i don't want to do this again yeah Yeah, right like i think that was for me like um i think i don't think the violence in games the violent content was ever particularly real to me as a kid like and i think my like I don't think it's necessarily a case of I got older and I got more mature and I learned to see things as disturbing because I still don't think Doom is disturbing. Like, I still think it's cartoonish and silly and there's no meaningful resemblance to real violence, really. Um, but, um, but I, as games got more realistic, there are things that I found more off-putting, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it became less likely that I would run around knifing civilians in GTA games the moment GTA got more yeah, realistic yeah, yeah. both in terms of its visuals and in terms of its storytelling like yeah. vice city was just a scarface pastiche that you're encouraged to do big w- weird wheelies around like there was still a lot of carmageddon in that game mm. and the carmageddon had gone by the time gta 4 came along and you're supposed to believe this is like an immigrant story and it's about real new york and it's you know it's all the stuff so suddenly killing people feels really different Remember um, how in GTA 1 you got bonus points if you ran over all of the Harry yeah. Krishna Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, you know, um, GTA 1's a good example, actually, because my, my dad bought me that when I was, what, 11, <laughs> I think. Good Lord. Yeah. And I turned out all right. <laughs> um, um, because it was cartoonish. Like, it, there was no way to meaningfully map it onto i mean i mean maybe that's partly personal like i was probably not the kind of kid that was likely to go and try and enact something i'd seen in a game but nonetheless it's kind of interesting to think back on because mm-hmm. but since you know gta 5 i've said many times really put me off like i really didn't enjoy it because i thought it was mm-hmm. spirited and because i i was 20 in 95 so yeah i wasn't i didn't like these when doom came i was like pretty much was it if it was 18 i was a, I I 93 remember. so yeah. i was legally allowed to buy it if it was 18 <laughs> at that point so my my risque games were like massively crude and you know like sort of sam fox strip poker kind of that was, <laughs> that was like i would be in the category of games that with the the the, email, the the questions talking about which is weird like 
I don't know. And then, but I didn't even have them because games are massively expensive and I didn't, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I, yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? Games. <laughs> Time. Time and games. Time, Time games. Uh, nouns. Finish up with a question from Zoe, who writes, Dear Pod friends, when I played Skyrim for the first time, I needed a strong imperial name for my noble steed, so I chose Brutus. I loved that horse so much that every single game horse I've owned since has been named Brutus in his honour. Do you have any naming conventions for your horses? <laughs> or pets or children? <laughs> uh, thanks for podding, everybody. Zoe. I think it's an important question. Very good to leave it to last. Yeah. Uh, what you call your horse, Tom? Uh, I go by their appearance. Mm. And so I, my horse in, in Zelda Breath of the Wild was like blotched pink and yellow. I was really like, what the hell does this remind me of? And the best thing I could think of was like a certain kind of flavored fudge. <laughs> so that horse is called Fudge. Oh, <laughs> it's quite sweet. And, uh, I have another horse related story that's not about their names that I'll get back to. <laughs> Alex? Uh, at the moment they're all being, being oh god this is the sort of thing that was never meant to be said aloud or kind of like, <laughs> but all made public uh barchibald <laughs> that's great and that's simply because we have a rabbit a house rabbit called archie and for some reason as a family we all call him barchie uh i don't know why and then obviously Therefore, I call my horses Barchibald. <laughs> I, um, and all other pets. I uh, I find, I don't know why I find this funny, I find pets uh, with um, sort of completely sensible human names mm. very funny. Yeah. Malcolm. Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so um, I have called like a lot of horses Margaret. Um, Margaret <laughs> Hodges. Hodge. That's good because there's a camera obscura song called Come Back Margaret. And losing your horse is quite common. Yeah. Come um, back, Margaret. Um, and I, I couldn't, I had several horses in Breath of the Wild before I found the one that really felt like the true Margaret. Um, and then I managed to tame the mega horse. Have you found the mega horse in Breath of the Wild? No, the, the there's one just one. mass. No, it's just one huge fucking horse. <laughs> there's one horse in that game that is like twice the size of every other horse. And it's really hard to tame. You need like quite a, a big stamina bar so you can stay on top of it for long enough to tame it. It's alone in a valley surrounded by normal sized horses. And there's no huge advantage to having a huge horse, mm. except you can spend the rest of the game with just a horse that's by volume, maybe eight times bigger than a normal horse. And so finally that was the true Margaret. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One true Margaret. There's, do you know if you could ever rename your horses in like, can you do it in Skyrim? I feel like you Probably. can't in Oblivion because so this is a, this is a culture story I covered for PC Gamer. Um, I learned that Shadowmere, which is the horse you get as part of the Dark Brotherhood quest, yeah. line, I think, um, is uh, you know super fast black horse with red eyes, cool for your edge lords, um, <laughs> and because it's kind of important and named, it's also marked as a quest character, which means it cannot die. Which means um, it can be knocked... Like, if it takes enough damage and it's zero health, it gets knocked out and then eventually it gets back up. But there's a property of anything that's unconscious or dead in Skyrim that it's treated as a dead body. And so it's also an inventory container. 
And so people were using Shadow Mirror's storage by beating it to death <laughs> or beating it to unconsciousness until it passed out, became a corpse. Then they'd offload all their items into its body. Like it doesn't have saddlebags or anything. They're literally putting it inside the body <laughs> and then it would wake up again because it's a plot character and then they'd ride it to where they want to go to. And then if they wanted to retrieve an item, they had to beat it to death again <laughs> and then pull their items out of its body. Those games are good, aren't they? <laughs> when are they doing another one of them? When are they doing another one of Todd Howard's big fucked adventures? <laughs> yeah. uh, you said another horse story you wanted to tell that us. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was my that horse was story. Yeah, yeah, I think we've got a decent spread of horse naming conventions. Mm. Obviously, this is yeah. a good question. Maybe, yeah. Touches on something we all... We'll deal with. Yeah, I think um, I think my Dragon Age dog was called. What did I call him? I think it was Ian. (laughs) 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 It makes me laugh. I don't know why. I don't know why that makes me laugh so much. Yeah. You ever consider them giving like like full names? <laughs> yeah, I think like that's what you can be an ordinary name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ian Hammersmith is too close to a video game name. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, no. Um, there's just something about, like, I don't know why it's funny. I think, I think if I ever have a dog, they will have a completely ordinary human name. It's, uh, I would, I Mark! Would... Mark! I think it's because of the moment when you have a friend around who has the same name as your pet it's such a like a long game power play like you can't have planned it like it, i mean imagine how you would feel well, if i got a dog and called it tom but imagine what a power play that would be given my life like <laughs> but you does mean that you have to go to a park and you will have to shout tom no, that's what's so people, great about it n- not every time you go you just i don't I just want to call my dog back without people Tom. going, what? <laughs> <laughs> just want my dog back. <laughs> I know. I have all all of my these. friends are here now, but <laughs> I still have my dog. <laughs> the dog's gone. <laughs> Tom Senior isn't following me. <laughs> there was a time on, on PC Gamer where if you yelled Tom and Mark, you would get 80% of the team. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And to be fair, you get 80% of that floor. <laughs> Good. That is, um, all of the questions we've got time for. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions at creatingcrowbar.com. You can tweet us at creatingcrowbar and you can uh, also uh, follow us on Twitter via that very same handle. That makes sense because the, uh, the same thing didn't really have to point it out separately but this outro has never been easy (laughs) you do it um there's uh youtube isn't it there is that's youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar as ever thank you to our patreon supporters uh you can find out more about supporting the podcast and its spin-offs at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar and who could forget discord i almost did That's where our community hangs out. You find a link to that on our show notes on the website, crankcrowbar.com, or in the main menu navigation of that same website. <laughs> nice. Yeah. If you would like to uh, follow us as individuals on Twitter, that's a possibility. Uh, I'm at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Tom? I'm at Pentadact. P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Lovely. And now, Alex, would you like to attempt to spell your Twitter handle first time? I'm going to have a go. Yeah. 
rotational. R-O-T-A-T-I-O-N-A-L. Yay! Damn. Damn. He's only gone and nailed it. <laughs> now you can call your horse that. Yeah. Oh, no. No, no, no. Bargebald. Bargebald! <laughs> Come hither! Maybe your Twitter name should be Bargebald. <laughs> that's the way Can't change it. How do you spell Bargebald? It's Archibald with a B on the start. That's uh, fine. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.